Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Phil Dreisler Show. This week, we've got Scott Gronholz from the Affirming Youth Ministries. I'm really excited to talk to Scott. Um, first come across them through the great work they're doing in helping um, LGBTQ teens who are navigating the very complex world of being Christian and being LGBTQ and being a teenager, right? Throw all those three things into a bag and you've got uh, one hell of a time. And, uh, and Scott and Ashley and the team there are doing some amazing things. And I wanted to talk to someone from over there. And so, um, yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Before we dive in, I'd encourage you to check out thedeconstructionnetwork.com if you haven't already. It's a great place to meet uh, other people in your local area who are going through deconstruction. This process can be so lonely and isolating, um, and it's a completely free resource that helps you find other people that have been through or are going through this process, um, and that can make all the difference in this journey, having someone uh, in your life that gets it. Um, so yeah, do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. If you want to support what I'm doing, I do everything for free. Um, it is a full-time gig for me. There's never any obligation um, to, to give money. We've all faced enough financial abuse through the church <laughs> to do this more than a lifetime, I'm sure. Um, but if you do want to help me uh, continue to do this for free and, and put out the resources I do, help people day in, day out, navigate this painful process, you can do that over at patreon.com slash Phil Drysdale. Um, as little as five bucks a month um, can help me pay the bills, keep doing what I'm doing. Um, you also get access to a little Discord community that we have online. Uh, we kind of share life together and chat and process together. Um, and also we do a monthly Zoom together as well, so it'd be great to have you in there. All right, that's enough ramble for me. Let's dive into the conversation with Scott. No, I got a beer here. I'm ready for a leisurely time. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. I, I don't really know much about you. Um, in fact, I don't know much about what you do. Um, yeah. I, I you know, follow your account, check out um, what you're doing on that occasionally. Um, I can't mm -hmm. remember even how I came across you. I think maybe you guys jumped to my DMs and were like, hey, here's a post I did, something like that. Totally. Um, totally. And so, yeah, I'm excited to know more. Um, and so maybe we can start there. I'm sure people would love to know maybe a bit about yeah. who you are. Um, totally. And we can talk maybe a bit about your journey what you're doing today. Um, All of it. You you pick how much or how little you want to say. I'll, I'm sure I'll dive in occasionally. Yeah. I will talk nonstop as well. It's very much a conversational podcast. That's why it takes two hours because getting me to shut up that. so the guests can speak is half the battle. Um, so yeah. Um, no, I've, I've listened don't, to don't about your last four. I think I listened to your last four episodes and I found that to be very refreshing. It's just like true conversation. And so I think that's what is enjoyable about the experience. You know, you just right. sort of see what happens when you're generating that conversation. Yeah. yeah. I always I mean, even when I'm a guest on podcasts, I'm like, I can do a spiel for an hour, but yeah. it's boring saying the same thing every time like, <laughs> right. for like a back and forth. And the same deal yeah. with podcasts, right? You're like, oh, I love this person. They've done another podcast. And you're like, I've heard this podcast already three times because totally they're just doing their spiel. <laughs> um, so as much as you want to do your spiel, do your spiel, but we, we'll yeah. see. I'll, I'll probably take it down some weird rabbit hole every now and again. Please do. Please do. <laughs> I would love to go down a weird rabbit hole. So are we already recording or? or sure. Yeah. I mean, I, we'll okay. probably like, I'll cut somewhere which makes sense, but it might be that it doesn't make sense anywhere. And I just keep it all in and people find out that, you know, Perfect. you're using headphones for a certain reason or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I yeah. guess, I guess I can say a little bit about my journey. And then again, like you can pop in and comment or ask a question. Um, so my name's Scott, Scott Gronholtz. I've been a youth pastor here in Seattle, Washington for 20 years. Um, I, I, I guess 
it's interesting being on like a deconstruction podcast or in a deconstruction space. I'm continuing to learn about maybe modern deconstruction. Uh, I, I, I went to Fuller Seminary, so I was a seminary, I'm a seminary grad, got my master's of divinity. I, I went to Seattle Pacific University here and was a theology major there. So sometimes when I'm listening to people that are talking about deconstruction, I'm like, I thought that I think my education in theology was deconstruction in a way. You know, right. it's like getting to study theology in your undergrad and somebody says, oh, well, the Genesis stories are just a poem. It doesn't have to be taken literal. I'm like, oh, OK. Uh, right. Was that how so, you took it as well? Were you were you quite uh, an easygoing person when it came to people presenting you information? You were like, oh, cool. OK, course correct. Let's keep going. Or was that life shaking for you at times? That's a great question. I think I, I my upbringing skewed conservative. I grew up in a Presbyterian church and. My dad was a Presbyterian pastor. My grandpa was a Presbyterian pastor. My grandpa was the first international director of Young Life, which is interesting. And so I, I, would, I didn't find it to be super conservative, although our church split on women in ministry. So my, my faction or whatever chose no women in ministry. Wow. And I just grew up with that assumption. And again, the moment I got to college, I think, I think it was more of a relief rather than a disruption because I all of a sudden was seeing a more progressive or liberal take on theology. And I thought, oh, great. And this has a lot of um, strong, you know, arguments and backing. It didn't seem like fluff or anything like that. In fact, it's like I'm talking with professors and reading really heavy theology books. And I'm like, okay, right. this is very strong. Um, so, I mean, I think as a white straight man, I did have a very privileged path. And, uh, you know, I, I graduated from college. I had a, had a great um, job as a youth pastor here in Seattle for 11 years. And it was all just very smooth. Having said that, the main thing in terms of what I've been doing now, which is running a nonprofit called Affirming Youth Ministries, all along that path, I was not affirming. And I wasn't aggressively antagonistic, but I definitely was giving sort of the classic sex talks as a youth pastor that was saying, generally i wasn't like shaming anybody but i would say phrases like it's not god's best for you you know that's not what god wants for you to be practicing that heavy quotes lifestyle mm -hmm. and um i mean to make a very long story short i ended up working at a bigger presbyterian church here in seattle that was definitely way more conservative than the church i had been working at and at that point i guess you could say i did some deconstruction at fuller seminary in uh, like when I was about 35, I went down to Pasadena and spent one year finishing my MDiv. And I think that year I was like, I'm going to study that topic as much as humanly possible. Mm. And for me, it was like grasping it air. I was like, there's nothing here to make me not affirming, you right. know? So what am I doing? I, I was looking for the big argument. I kind of always assumed that there was some strong argument there biblically. And, you know, we don't need to go through all the clobber passages and all rehash that, especially for your audience. But I was just like, oh, okay, I guess I'm affirming. And that was like maybe seven or eight years ago. And I ended up working in an aggressively non-affirming church. Mm. At that point, I think we had 150 to 200 high schoolers participating in that program. And wow. in Seattle, in a very progressive liberal city, more and more kids and my leaders were feeling much more comfortable coming out. And it just turned into a total shit show. Essentially, I was sort of advocating for them. And parents we're starting to get concerned, conservative and progressive parents are sort of fighting the upper management and pastors, pastoral staff doesn't really know what to do. So eventually I got fired. A bunch of my leaders got fired. Um, I was like, well, I still want a career in youth ministry. And, and so I started a local youth group here that was going to be affirming. 
and it was called Rebel, and we got a more progressive Presbyterian church to host us. And so most of my leaders and students from the other church joined us. And uh, one week after that, the pandemic hit. Oh, wow. Jesus. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, then, and you know, I think all of us in that early time thought, well, we'll go virtual for like a month and then we'll be back to interacting like normal. Right. And of course we didn't. And so we started promoting this virtual youth group and then queer students, young people from literally all over the world just started reaching out to us. So mm. It, whatever we think about God or whatever we believe about God, it felt like a God universe, Holy Spirit thing. And now we have connected with about over 600 students from around the world. And this is what we do now. We, we host affirming virtual youth groups two or three times a week with all sorts of different connecting points. Uh, and this is my job and my vocation now. Um, it's just been the most bizarre, amazing, cool experience. And, and then to also be uh, at that old church and wanting to interact with folks like you. I remember I used to have Christina Cleveland several times on my podcast and she knows that the church I was working at was pretty conservative. And I think she was always a little sketched out by even talking to me. And now when I say, Oh, this is what we're doing. This is my, this is my role. Now. I think people are a lot more interested in what we're doing rather than talking yeah. to some sort of old stuffy white supremacist <laughs> Presbyterian church. Um, so no, I mean, I've, I've never been more excited and proud of something I've been doing. So it's, it's the world definitely needs it. And uh, meeting these kids and connecting with these leaders is just, I, I can't, I can't even talk about, I mean, I can, I am talking about, it, but it's just been unbelievable, unbelievable, almost. So yeah, I bet, that's the I bet. Short I mean, it sounds journey. incredible. Yeah. It, it really does. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, I've watched your reels and posts and stuff mm -hmm. and I, I really love what you're doing. And, um, you know, I get a lot of uh, people assuming I'm super anti-Christian or anti-whatever, I don't know, or pro anything. I, I'm right. very much trying to go, hey, I'm not against or for anything other than harm. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think there's a great argument for healthy forms of Christianity for a huge amount of people. I'm always for whatever fits your path, like whatever works yeah. for you. For some people, Christianity doesn't add up anymore. Okay, great. But for a lot of people, and, and generally speaking, 99.9% .9 of people that deconstruct don't start wanting to get rid of their Christianity, right? And right, so right. most of them the whole way are going, where is a Christianity I can land on? Um, and what's yeah. interesting is um, some of the data on this is really fascinating of people that deconstruct, identify as deconstructing um, from Christianity um, or from conventional forms of Christianity, I should say. Um, the, um, the gay, bisexual, asexual, basically anyone that's not cis male, um, they deconstruct differently. There's, there's yeah. The metrics skew massively in different ways. And what's really interesting is so many of them hold to much more spirituality than mm. people that are identifying as straight. Um, mm. And what's really fascinating about that, we don't have data on why, you know, you'd have to dig deep on that, but we could all jump at a few ideas, right? And for some of it, it is, if you're deconstructing as a straight person, you're doing this for a reason other than the church hates me for who I am, right? I mean, absolutely. when you're forced out of the church, not because you're questioning God or hell or, you know, a lot of things that some people do question and start to deconstruct over, when you're forced out of the church solely because of your identity, you often aren't faced 
of course, a lot of people then go, man, who is this guy that people are saying is his guy? You know, who is this guy? Who, yeah. Of yeah. course that happens, but there's a higher percentage of people that go, no, I want to hold on to my faith. Um, Absolutely. And what's really sad about that is actually there's less spaces for those people than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a really, really hard place. And so what you're doing, it excites me, you know, um, creating yes. a space that's free, that's safe, that's open um, for people that are some of the most vulnerable people in our society. Um, it's very, very exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really. I love, I love the, um, the stuff you're doing with the statistics and stuff. It's, it's, I, I know what I've been hearing in your last few episodes, it's, it's not finished yet. You're not ready to release it yet, but it will be very cool. when we can hear some actual cold, hard facts on who's deconstructing, how they're deconstructing, what the results of deconstruction are. Uh, but I think you're totally right. I think when we first started, all of my leaders and I were feeling really frustrated and antagonistic about the church and evangelicalism. And it was Trump was still president. And I think, I think we were giving some really wonky, probably deconstruction adjacent type presentations and the new students were getting really rattled. They were like, we, we really need this to be like a Christian space. That's what we were looking Mm -hmm. for. And, and so it's interesting because I, I don't know of any other Christian space like this. We have the title and the container of quote unquote Christianity. But in that space, the reason we call the youth group rebel is any and all manner of dissection and deconstruction and contemplation and interrogation is more than welcome. I would say the reason this is called rebel is because the whole point of this youth group is you're encouraged to disagree aggressively Mm. with adults you're encouraged to bring your own thoughts as wild as they might sound. And then working with queer youth has poured rocket fuel in that philosophy because we talk about like queering theology or queering the Bible or queering the church. And it's, it's, it's not subtle. Like we're asking them to bring their full selves. I mean, even, even recently, my leaders were saying, hey, if this is an affirming space, you really do need to engage with uh, a polyamorous relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, like, even, even though I've said I'm affirming, I guess that's, that's one more little step I need to take. And we did have a polyamorous triad come to the youth group and talk to the kids, and it was beautiful. Um, wow. But that's queering relationships. I mean, a lot of even my supporters and donors are like, oh, well, but not polyamory. I mean, that seems to be like the final right. dr- draw the line in the sand. And I'm like, no, no, that's what affirming means. And so having folks be able to say this isn't even about acceptance or inclusion this is about um shifting uh sort of your sort of um obsession with straightness or heteronormativity Mm. and and sort of like um releasing you (laughs) and freeing you from that from those shackles And, and in in some ways uh everybody i don't know how quite how to say this but well, everybody's impacted that. Everybody's everybody's liberated in their own way when we're able to interact with people that are different than us. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, that's that's good. I think you you highlight some really interesting um, bits. I'm just trying to think of which which one to follow. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it's it's it is it's, it's fascinating. We all have lines, right? Everyone has a line somewhere in their makeup, whatever it is, socially constructed, whatever it, it may be for that person we all get to points in our life where we go, whoa, huh, I didn't know that was my thing, right? Or that was going right, to be right. uncomfortable for me. And yeah. you're faced with the the 
uh, option of do I double down and go, well, no, that's just the way it is or whatever, right? Yeah. Which, like, yeah. let's face it, we often do, and we, especially when we have tradition and and um, social structures around us that enforce that or or support that. Um, but it does take a lot for someone to face that and to hit that brick wall and to go, huh, here's another way for me to grow. Here's another way for me to introduce um, diversity into my life, to make right. me think outside of my box, to expand my box. Um, that's, a, that's a really exciting thing. And it's not necessarily, um, I think we're fairly safe in saying it's not something the church has done very well historically. Um, right. it, the church is not known for one that looks to expand its box to include uh, diversity. It looks for um, conformity, right? It looks for people yeah. to conform to a certain mold and image, um, which of course, when you're looking at people that are LGBTQ plus, you know, like uh, conformity, I mean, are you kidding? Like it's, it's the uh, poster child for nonconformity, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's saying, Hey, your box isn't working. Hey, your binary structure is not working. It's not yeah. just black and white ones and zeros. There's more complexity here. Um, it, it, there's something that fascinates me as well, though, and this must be interesting for you. Um, you know, you say you're straight, so you're a straight guy running mm -hmm. this organization. Um, that must be a really interesting dynamic. Can you talk about that? Because I can imagine there are people out there that would be like, look, th this is not the person to do this, right? I mean, right. you must, do you ever think that? Do you ever go, gosh, what <laughs> am I doing running a, <laughs> a group like this? No, it I think that all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I think in terms of wanting to be an affirming youth group is we're also desiring to be a anti-racist organization too. So in terms of power, you know, I, I'm a co-director with my co-director, Ashley, who's the first black queer woman ordained into the Presbyterian church, or wow. maybe second openly queer woman, black woman ordained into the Presbyterian church. So um, at the top of the power structure, whatever that means, is like, it's not a straight white man. We, we share right. uh, the, the, the power in that sense. But um, it took a lot of... Um, consent from the people I was working with. You know, I, I think when we launched the nonprofit initially, it was just going to be this sort of humble little youth group here in Seattle. And then it started getting bigger. And then we're like, okay, well, it's not just the youth group, it's expanding. And it's going to be a global, hopefully network of, I would say, hopefully like affirming young life. It's going to be a, a global affirming parachurch thing. And, you know, as opposed to something like young life, which I worked for, it's usually based on conversions and Obviously, they just released a 25-page statement about their doctrinal beliefs. And it's like, this is not doctrine-based. This is not agreement-based. It's not uniformity-based. So we, I do think we need something like that in the world. But yeah, I know I was looking at my like 40-plus volunteers, most of them who are queer, and my students. And I'm like, am, am I the one to do this? Like, is, mm. is do you want this? I mean, I was very aggressively asking that. And they're like, yeah, you know, you're our pastor. You know, you you know you, I, whatever whatever it was that there was there was a, an affirmation of that and so i think having said that it does take um a, a new set of skills that i'm learning to adapt of mostly kind of remaining in the background i mean to a certain extent i was kind of hoping ashley would be the one that would come on this podcast and i i want to have ashley be out there a little out front more than me but ashley was like well what's what's uh, deconstruction all about? <laughs> Ashley was not like <laughs> super uh, into the deconstruction stuff. And I, I'm sort of like okay. gluttonously consuming all this deconstruction stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought it was a little bit more 
fitting that I would come on this podcast, but sure. You know, I try, I try to mostly set up other people as, as being sort of the upfront voices of the things we're doing. And I, mm. I've always been very, I, I've always uh, been sort of obsessed with the idea of a, a shepherd, you know, a pastor is a shepherd. And if I can just care for a group of people and, um, be in be in the background a little bit and then when necessary be in the forefront um but it, it's definitely tricky yeah. um but so far it hasn't really been a problem it's been like two years that like nobody's ever really no student or leader or parent or donor has ever really had a problem with it but it's definitely something yeah. to pay attention to yeah well absolutely and i think that that's the balance isn't it, it you know uh, again over here straight white guy you know plenty mm -hmm. of privilege over here right and i'm constantly aware of like eh, does the deconstruction space need another straight white guy talking right. in it, or <laughs> you know should i be out of here um yeah. and, and that's a that's a conversation to be had i think it's a conversation to consistently be bringing up and, and, and repeat and looking at um but there is space for people that are straight and white. There, there's dynamics at play uh, where we do want an inclusive world that includes all people and, and whatever. Yeah. And, and I think as well, there's probably dynamics as well that you probably add credibility on some level uh, to some interactions with some of your maybe more conventional uh, relations with, uh, with churches and stuff that they yes. are gonna open a door to a straight white guy much quicker than they're gonna do it to a black woman who is queer. Like at the end of the yeah. day, having an advocate that has some sort of ability to use that privilege um, is probably a very helpful thing, I'm sure at times. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think in that sense, it's true. It's like, I, I, think, I, I think I've said that in so many words, you know, we're always trying to figure out how, what's, the, what's, the, what's a good way to say it that's not too cringy. But if we can say, yeah, utilize my privilege for your benefit. I, I want to use this privilege for something good. I mean, I had a friend of mine uh, who was staying at my house, who's who used to be one of my interns and is now an ordained Presbyterian pastor. And uh, I, I was sort of hemming and hawing about actually doing this. It felt like a bit of a leap of faith. And, uh, you know, I live in a, a, a nice house here in Seattle. And she just literally stood up and said, what, what is this fucking privilege for if you're not going to use it for some good? Because <laughs> I, I think that's the tricky thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I said. The, the really hard part about being a straight white man, uh, <laughs> the, 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 tricky, the tricky part is, so the alternative is we just disappear into the background and right. don't do anything. And that also feels wimpy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, well, like, it's, it's heavily let's, let's leaning on our privilege. We, we get to have yeah. the whole thing exactly. as well. So it's, it's a complex thing to navigate. Certainly it's still a very privileged thing to be able to sit and think about um, yeah. in many ways, you know, not taken away from that by any means. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm really interested by this because um, I've worked in churches for many years. I've worked in, with youth. Youth are some of my favorite mm -hmm. people to work with. I just, I love mm -hmm. people at that age. They're just, they're full of questions. They're growing. They're figuring out who they are. There's this time in their life where they're trying to figure out what way am I going to go? And they are full of energy. They are going to hurtle in that direction once they figure yeah. it out. And it's exciting. Um, and at the end of the day, the the potential for, um, setting someone up for success in their life is huge, but the potential for really cataclysmically harming people is also probably unlike a lot of other ages. Um, it right. feels like teens really are in some ways so vulnerable. 
Um, and and I, I'm really intrigued by like that dynamic is scary to me. I, I get scared mm. by that um, <laughs> as just in any context, I hold any relationship I have with, with a teenager. Like I'm like, oh, I, my default is to be a crazy rebellious guy that tells mad, who cares? You know, whatever, you know, roll with the dice. It's fun, whatever, you know, don't worry about school. You'll be fine. Or, you know, like all <laughs> parents hate me or whatever, you know, but I, but I also sit there going, ah, you could really fuck this kid up if you're not careful. Right. Like, you know, like yeah. you really want to be careful with, with people that are in this, yeah. um, this stage of life. And I think when you're talking about faith, when you're talking about sexuality, when you're talking about gender, um, you know, we know the stats on kids that grew up in the church that are mm -hmm. LGBTQ. We yeah. know that that just growing up in the church increases their chances of depression, anxiety, increases their chances of suicide, um, all sorts of things like that. You know, where do you come at? going, I'm going to help a whole bunch of youth. I'm going to do it online. Like, I mean, so many barriers, it feels like, um, you know, even I, I imagine a lot of people that are coming to you are coming from churches that are not affirming. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the vast majority of churches are not affirming. Yeah. Um, like, where do you even begin working with, you know, 600 people like that, you know, pastoring, caring for people? Yeah. That sounds like a, a insurmountable task. It sounds like you're... <laughs> playing you know with yeah it's just a really really um complex thing to to be navigating yeah you're you're a good question asker um well i just rambled yeah. for an hour i don't even know if i asked a good question in there but no, i, I rambled it. about <laughs> just... the thoughts that i have in my head about no, it. <laughs> that's that's exactly what i love no i, I mean that's the, that, like i said that's exactly what our podcast is all about it's it's all about the rambling it's seeing what comes up when you let your brain just sort of wander around that's what i love um so yeah i think you're asking the exact right questions. And I guess having having sort of 20 years of youth ministry experience, it's all I've ever done professionally. I think that helps me feel a little bit, um, I don't know, sturdy, sturdier in, in what I'm doing. But um, I think we made some missteps in the beginning, just in terms of being overly ambitious. Anybody that gets involved in this work, including myself, but my volunteers for sure, have a bit of a superhero complex. And in those early days, the first few like five to 10 kids that we were finding online were so precious to us. Everybody's precious to us. But those first few kids are like, holy cow, like one kid joined us from Hawaii, then another kid joined us from Texas, then another kid joined us from Florida. And this kid from Florida called and said, I am suicidal. I can't get into my house. I'm, I'm on the streets of Florida alone, essentially. And within 24 hours, we'd flown them up to Seattle. Mm. And, and then we had this kid on our hands <laughs> and I was like, what did we, what did we do? Like, and, and we I'm like, did capacity. you just kidnap someone? We got the dad's joking, permission and it was, no, but I mean, we have to clarify that for listeners. Like we got the dad, the parents permission. It was a very strange thing because they weren't affirming, but they saw that we were willing to help. I think this thing had happened where I, I would have experiences like that in the past over my time as youth pastor, where I would get a call from a kid or a parent in the middle of the night and they would be like at each other's throats, like screaming and the, and the, and the daughters in, in their bedroom being like, my mom's trying to get in and hurt me. And we're like, show up with a few youth leaders. And we're like, let's, let's just take the child out of the house for the night. Of course, with the parents consent and just give you a break from each other. So just come stay the night over here, get you a safe place. And then we'll see what, how we can fix this in the morning. So we were just like, it, it seemed like an emergency. And, and my impulse was just like, let's just give you guys a break. And so 
you know, the kid came up here for about two weeks and I tried to talk to the parents about affirming theology and stuff. And they didn't really come around on that. But all that to say, it's like we, we once the dust settled, we were looking around as leaders and we're like, okay, well, definitely can't do that anymore. <laughs> we don't have capacity for right. that. Right, yeah, yeah. So I think to your point, it's like what we've, we've had a lot of other hiccups in the similar vein. And I think what we really started to realize after about a year is, and we say this to our kids almost all the time, it's in terms of statistics, the Trevor Project says, you know, having one affirming adult or one affirming space in your life reduces suicide by 60%. So we say we're not emergency services, we're not CPS, uh, we're not the police, even though I don't really trust the police. Um, we are a safe space for you to attend uh, two hours out of your week. And we are relationships that are safe, but do not call us if you're going to consider self-harm. Like, we, I mean, I, if you're in North Carolina and considering self-harm, I can't do anything for you. So I always tell if you're calling me, I'm going to call your parents or I'm going to call CPS. I, I'm not going to talk you down or it, it's an immediate phone call to your parents. And so mm. um, we just say what we're offering you guys is a safe affirming space. And that's all we can offer. I mean, for a while we were saying we were doing something called office hours with our leaders and we post on our Instagram. Here's when you can sign up to talk to these leaders. And even that got overwhelming. You know, kids were yeah. coming in and talking about things that were just too heavy for our 23 year old leaders to handle. So we're like, what we do is two hours, Monday night, youth group with some small groups and some light discussion and some words of love and affirmation. Uh, and aside from that, it's like, we've got to know what we're capable of and we can't do much more than that. Or, I mean, it would be irresponsible if we tried to do much more than that. Yeah. So, but, but it is daunting. I mean, you got to take it seriously. I, I mean, I have a 15 and 17 year old. So, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty, like I said, I feel pretty sturdy in what I'm able to do with teens and young people but it, it is it is I can see how it'd be kind of daunting <laughs> yeah no I mean it, it's a lot right I mean talk about it. I mean yeah serious mm -hmm. serious stuff being processed mm -hmm. and for a lot of these kids there's no one to talk to and they do yeah. turn to the one person they can talk to and you're like oh I'm the only person you can talk to about this but I am not a person you can really talk to about. It's like, I'm like, I right. think there's a lot with just like adults messaging me. I'm like, yeah, you're processing your deconstruction, but honestly, some of this stuff, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. even if yeah. I do know, I mean, I'm not probably the ones to put it on you or tell you or, you know, um, it's, it's, um, it's a lot to, to, to process these things. And, and it's really hard not to jump into that superhero mode. Like when you've got a kid that's really struggling, that is going to harm themselves, that is, you know, uh, going through crazy situations. It's telling you these yeah. wild stories. Um, yeah, it must be really hard to draw those lines. Um, I, I can't imagine. I, I'm, I'm the sort of person <laughs> I struggle to draw any kind of, uh, boundaries a lot of the time with stuff, um, most of my listeners will tell you I chat to them all day every day on Instagram way too much probably that's why I get yeah. nothing done and why research takes like multiple years to come out and stuff um but yeah it, yeah it must be a lot it must be a lot I think if you if you can make that mental adjustment that this is the most loving thing then it, it probably becomes less hard I mean again with experience it, it probably becomes less hard and I have to have boundaries with my own kids and so you know I'm 42 most of my leaders are in their mid to early 20s and so i think it has been challenging for them but we've gone through it together I mean, we meet every sunday for leaders meetings i don't think we've ever missed a meeting and we process this together and so we serve in community together and um we you know support each other and uh, so so yeah it, it, it is challenging but what i think once you're able to make that mental shift that the most loving thing i can do 
is have good boundaries with a young person or anybody for that matter. Uh, boundaries are loving, you know, clear is kind. And once you teach young people or anybody, again, for that matter, this isn't even about ministry, what they can and can't expect out of you, you know, then the relationship can really thrive. Because I think yeah. containers and boundaries are, are what help anything thrive. So it's, it is hard. I don't want to, I don't want to say, but I, I think it was harder in the beginning. And now we've really kind of hit a stride of sorts. And now, now we're not so nervous about more and more kids joining because we know what we're able to offer. We're not getting yeah. overwhelmed and saying, oh my gosh, this is so many kids. How are we going to serve these kids? It's like, well, all that we do is this youth group. And in addition to the youth group, you know, we have one guy that does a Tuesday Bible study. We have one guy that does something that's a little bit like deconstruction called questions and perspectives. That's like a three hour Saturday thing where kids just probably deconstruct together. But, you know, mm. even that is contained. It's like, this is the Bible study. This is the morning 30 minute meditation that we do. And there isn't any more after that, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, talk to me about that. Cause this must be an interesting dynamic as well as someone that's a Christian um, that yeah. has deconstructed a lot of their faith, you know, had to yeah. question a lot of things, gone through the different mills, found out that Genesis is a poem, yeah. found out that yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> you don't need to be not affirming or whatever yeah. it is. Um, I mean, a lot of these kids must be coming to the table with some serious questions because I just don't think you get to be a teenager without that. Yeah. Never mind, right? If you are a teenager with every privilege checked, you're probably going, what the fuck is happening in life? And yeah. why are we here? Right. I mean, like, it's, <laughs> right, it's right. big teenage questions, right? I don't, yeah, I don't totally. do teenagers go through life without asking oh. those questions. Right, right. Like, no, I don't is think that so. possible? <laughs> um, but then you add to the dynamic, um, you know, growing up as, um, you know, largely an ostracized group in society, yeah. especially in somewhere like America, maybe it's a bit different in Europe, um, you know, yeah. but generally speaking in America, not a fun thing to do, grow up in the LGBTQ yeah. community. You know, the amount of people that go, oh, they're just doing it to be cool or whatever. And I'm like, uh, have you read The Room so in America stupid. yet? Because it's still right. not safe. Um, yeah. You know, you've got that going on. You're growing, growing up probably in Christian homes. You've got Christian parents that even when talking yeah. to someone that's, you know, knows his stuff, you know, is punching well above his weight um, and is kind of explaining to you why it's maybe there's some options there to be affirming. They're still going to go, look, I'm sorry, I can't jump that hurdle even for my own child. Um, right. These are some big, big hurdles. Um, yeah. I mean, kids growing up in this environment, they're they're coming to the table with some questions about God and, and Christianity and theology. Um, how how do you navigate that? Like, what does that look like? What what does it look like to um, be a safe space? But presumably, at the end of the day, as an organization that is um, Christian, I assume on yeah. some level, you probably don't have your twenty-five page document. Um, right. But on no, some no. level, you probably have like, oh, here's here's like some of the key beliefs we kind of hold to, you know, like yeah. we believe Jesus is God, or or at least we should follow Jesus's way, or you know, right. however much you break it down, you'll have something yeah. somewhere at some point that you're like, oh yeah, but we kind of are gathering around this ideology. Or you something. know, is that's a good. That's I'm glad you bring that up because I actually don't think so. I, I, I think hmm. you know, I, I I went to a writing workshop years ago and I heard this phrase that I love. The the writer said, as if you're creating something it should be a tyranny of taste. So your, your taste should reign supreme. And so like ma basically make the thing that you want to see or you'd want ex to experience. And maybe we're trying something completely outrageous. I think it probably doesn't feel like it makes much sense to people, but like we've really said, no, 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 we don't want 
anything aside from that label, essentially like Christian, Christian is the label, but aside from that, it's like, no, no, no. It's almost, it's almost wanting to be coy about any sort of core belief underneath that label. Mm. And I think the, the, the desire in terms of, again, like interacting with people like you or the new evangelicals or Joe Lumen or any of these other people in the deconstruction spaces, um, it, again, calling the youth group rebel to me is sort of flipping the goal of youth ministry around and saying, I've participated in this and I experienced it, which is like we're using Jesus to sort of soften students and make them be obedient kids mm-hmm. and not talk back to their parents and not smoke or drink or whatever. And it's like, how is that Christian? I mean, the more, the older I get, I think too, it's like most youth pastors retire at like 27. So when I was like 40, I'm like looking around the room, like, what the hell are we doing? This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, this isn't what I'd want for my kids. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, if we're, if we're following this rebellious person who always questioned and pushed back on, on systems of power, and we're not freeing up our students to do that, then we're not really doing Christianity or following Jesus. And so I think the, the idea is, and this might kind of go back into this realm of like, how does a straight white man take up space in, in these areas? It's like, well, use, I, I guess I can always be modeling uh, listening and learning and growing and changing. And so it's like, if, if the conversations I'm having is not me teaching, me educating, me telling people, it's like, I can, mm-hmm. I can, model listening i can i can help students and young people feel what it feels like to be heard and not just heard in terms of like placated but like really listened to and digested and i changed because of the things i've heard so all all, all i have to say it's like no no we can't have a belief statement or a doctrine or some grounding values aside from being affirming or anti-racist or something like that Mm. um because well, I guess the only reason they would even be there to begin with is so kids could question them. So it's, it's, right. it's always going to be fluid. It's always going to be changing. I think one of the things that's been exciting for me in terms of working with LGBTQ folks is, uh, again, looking at different ways to approach God. And we have some sort of obsession within evangelicalism of keeping heavy quotes, Christ at the center. And so it's nice to say, okay, we're taking away this gendered view of God and saying, God, the parent and say, God, the father. I mean, this is all very basic stuff, but saying also let's use they, them pronouns for God. Why not? That sounds great. And we're also worshiping something that's very orthodox, which certain Christians love is uh, the Trinity. So that's uh, God, they, them pronouns. And then I don't think we talk about the Holy spirit enough, which is completely out of our control. And so yeah, I guess if we are thinking in our brains, keeping Christ at the center is like worshiping a straight man, presumably. I think there's all sorts of fun right. passages where we could say maybe Jesus wasn't straight, which is really cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's saying like we're, we're letting the Holy Spirit continue to guide us and change us. And so it seems like that those grounding values would only get in the way of expansion. Like Pastor Ashley, my co-director, has has been wanting to use the word expansion instead of inclusion lately. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it's not about us with a, in a, in a circle of, of people that are allowing people in, we're right. including you. It's saying, this is expanding outwards. Uh, I love that. So no, I mean, Christian is almost like a playful, I, I, I tell the kids, a lot of our kids have used our group as sort of the last stop on their way out of Christianity. And that would sure. in, our, in our group be totally celebrated. Like that's, not, yeah. that's what you need. And also, if you need Christianity, if that's what you want, 
well, here it is, but it's also whatever you need it to be. And that right. I, I know that would trigger different. so many. That would trigger so many third of the types of like, you can't just make it be whatever you want it to be. And I'm like, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is a big thing. So I mean, I just um, a couple of weeks ago um, had. Um, uh, a prominent member of the Gospel Coalition was is writing a book about deconstruction. Yeah, I saw your meme. Content. I saw your meme this morning. <laughs> yeah, so they, they they I think they got pushed by their publisher to chat with someone that's doing research in the area that can tell them actually yeah. who are deconstructing Christians. Right. So they can't just say this is who they are, and the publisher's like, you have to get yeah. some sort of data point. We don't we don't so, want John Piper to tell us what deconstruction is. Right. With yeah. the perfect perfect idea, um, <laughs> and so. You know, but what's interesting, I talked to them and they were like, um, they were like, oh, so what percentage do you think like go into sort of progressive forms of Christianity and things? And I was like, well, early indications, I can give you some data points, um, but it's likely to change by two, three percent or something over the yeah. next year um, as we kind of funnel down the data a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very small amount, very small percentage, really, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and what's interesting is um, I was like, you know, it's much more like that people become agnostic, spiritual, but not religious, kind of these kind of like gray areas are much more common. Yeah. Uh, atheist is even less likely than Christian. <laughs> You're less likely to become an atheist. Atheist is yeah. the least likely uh, group. Um, yeah. That changes for country as well, which is interesting. But in America, very unlikely. And I think a lot of that's mm. to do with stigma and, and, you know, whatever. Um, but it's really interesting what she said to me because she was said, Oh, she's like, I don't really care about people that um, don't identify as Christian anymore. She's like, hmm. they're they're uninteresting. They don't want to be Christian anymore. She's like, I'm really concerned about people that want to be Christian still, but clearly aren't Christian. And I was like, oh, uh, spoken like perfect, like, you know, conventional Christian conservatives. Yeah. And, you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Of course, they're wanting to police who gets to be a Christian. Yes. Um, but I feel like that is very uh, true for a lot of people is I think on some level, I mean, no parent wants their kid to be an atheist. They're going to picture them burning in hell forever and everything. This is hard for right. sure. But right. there's something else really scary about, because they still think the progressive Christian is going to burn in hell forever as well, right? But the progressive <laughs> yeah. Christian threatens you so much more than an atheist. Because, right. Because right. Right? they're, they're yeah. only on some level, and on a grand scheme of things, there's still probably quite a bit of difference between a conventional Christian and a progressive yeah. Christian, you know do not take me as saying a progressive Christian, a conventional Christian is saying, but they're a lot closer than an atheist and a conventional Christian. Right. I mean, and so I think there's some sort of component there of people's fear of, um, of anyone kind of going, Oh yeah, this could be Christian or Hey, Christian, you can look like this. It's a very scary thing because we've spent our whole lives thinking that this thing should be black and white and it's black and white for totally. a reason, right? Because we have a book that told us exactly this, right? Please yeah. tell me the book says exactly this, right? I've not checked, <laughs> but please tell me. Um, it, right. it, do you get a lot of pushback from people? Do pe- I mean, to me as well, oh, I'm bouncing all over the place, but here's, here's a point. Oh, I'm I'm really no, bounce by. around, bounce around. Um, yeah. I'm expecting you to then bounce around and try and pick up as many points as you okay, can remember. <laughs> um, but teenagers, a lot of time, you know, they're questioning and they're pushing and their rebellion. And that is so true for a teenager. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, they're grasping for stability and certainty as well. And teenagers can be right. some of the most black and white people I've met. You know, they can be very like, no, this is the way it is. Now, it might be, yeah. look, you're wrong. My parents are wrong. And this is the real way. I know exactly what's right. It's the exact right. opposite. Right. But it's almost this like yeah. pendulum swing. Um, yeah. And I guess, do you find that dynamic? Um, 
how do you find that dynamic? Because I feel like a lot of people maybe are coming from these conventional spaces and they're looking for stability. They're looking for certainty. Um, and it must be quite tempting as a leader to give them some real clear black and whites where you maybe go, where maybe even hmm. you think there are black and whites, but you know it's not going to work for everyone. Hmm. Um, but maybe a teenager will just latch onto it and it'll be good for them. You know, like it must be a weird dynamic trying to play in that yeah. role of going, we're creating a space where everything goes. But obviously for you, you have certain frameworks that you believe in that you live your life based on. Um, yeah. That if you weren't careful, many teenagers would probably just grab that and just follow your path, right? To some degree. Yeah, well, I think that's that's been, I mean, I haven't really thought about it until you brought it up just now, but I mean, that's been one of the really fun things is like in the past, I I don't think I would have realized it at the time, but looking back, I was probably hired, especially by a prominently white middle-class church here. Psychologically, maybe nobody would be able to admit this, but they're hiring me to uphold their standards. So I'm more of a tool. So they right. go, oh, a, a smiley, straight white guy, he's going to come in and 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 he is what we want our kids to follow and to a certain extent i'm right again almost unconsciously subconsciously buying into that and i'm like yeah mm -hmm. you know you want to model your life after me and my monogamous marriage and being straight and white and blah 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 uh no nobody's nobody's interested in modeling their life after me at this point <laughs> no, 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 nobody cares about my marriage or having kids or you know you know, no, nobody, nobody really cares about that. And, and um, I mean, I, I feel so humbled and, and lucky to be just anywhere included at all. I mean, it's almost reversed. It's like, I'm the lucky one for being included here. And I'm the one that's learning uh, in terms of like what we're teaching, you know, I think again, it just, it, it takes a while. Cause I think I've always had these philosophies, but the, the structures that I've been working in kept me from really indulging in the philosophies of, of like, like I said, sort of the spirit of what we're trying to do in the youth group with rebel, but, but um, you know, it kind of goes to this sort of Mr. Rogers vibe. It's like, mm. I mean, the main thing we have to do is just love you, you know, and care about you and tell you that you're, you're great and listen to you. And, and it's like, you know, we can, what, what we do and we teach quote unquote, is present some ideas and let you process it. But we're not trying to get you to agree with us. I mean, the, the series we're doing right now is we're taking a look at um, some different passages where, where there's sort of a spirit of rebellion in, in a way Jesus was working. Like we're taking a look at when Jesus questioned the teachers at the temple as a teenager. Uh, we're talking about doubting Thomas. We're talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and relying on a, on a kid to bring the gifts forward and all this. And we're, we're saying uh, two leaders get to share a little reflection and a kid. And it's like, everybody's going to have a different take on this. Mm. And that's the point. So, no, I mean, we're not really needing to get into any sort of push and pull back and forth argument with any of these kids. And I, I guess, you know, we're rambling and bouncing around. One of the things that I think is very valuable psychologically, like the role of a parent in so many ways is to play sort of this mother bird role like digesting the food and regurgitating it back up it's kind of a gross thought but like our 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 what we're trying to do is not teach kids the right answers we're trying to listen to them and then and then say back to them what we're hearing them say in a way where they can listen to their own heart mm. and spirit 
and get in touch with their own mind. And, and they're overwhelmed and they might even be passionate and they might be saying things you disagree with. It doesn't matter. Your job is to listen and absorb and process and do, mm-hmm. do some of the work that they're not able to do because of their age. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really fun to not have to be in that state anymore of like trying to police and watch and argue and push back. Cause those in the young life days, I was probably at my worst. I was like really trying yeah. to get them to funnel them in that camp experience to get them to say a prayer by the end and accept that Jesus Christ was their Lord and savior. It was exhausting, you know? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's hard, right? I mean, it's hurting, it's hurting cats trying to get teenagers mm-hmm. to do what you want. Right. I mean, it really, mm-hmm. really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, like uh, for, for so many churches, what they're looking for is, can we find a young, relatable version of our senior pastor? Basically, yeah, right? Exactly. Can we, because exactly. they're not listening to this old white guy. Maybe they'll listen to this younger white guy, right? Or <laughs> even when they, you know, get um, an urban pastor, right? And what yeah. they think is, can we find a black guy who's going to give exactly the same theological components and all these different things um, as our straight white pastor to his yeah. black friends and we'll, we'll call it urban because you know that's maybe somewhat acceptable i don't know if it's particularly acceptable anymore but that was a big right. deal for a while right i mean every yeah. church any big city had an urban pastor and it was right, always right. The one black guy on the team of like 20 leaders or something right yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. because we were like oh we need to get black people in our church and for some reason mm-hmm. they're not coming to this church with 900 white people and four black people you know like right so yeah, exactly um yeah but, but really that's that's what's happening for most people as they kind of bring a youth pastor is they're, they're they're looking they're not looking because as uh someone that's been in youth leadership um Generally speaking, most youth leaders and most youth uh, pastors and stuff, they're coming in like fresh out of college. They got some edgy stuff, right? They're like, oh, can I swear? Can I like, can I push the boat? And can I, can I talk about this passage and how it meant that uh, Jesus cursed when he said this? Or can I talk about (laughs) the fact that it's actually okay to question in certain contexts or whatever? And, and most of your leaderships are constantly on the back of a youth pastor, right? On, yeah. You know, it's, it's it's the bane of youth pastors' lives, constantly being tattled on, told to stay within this box, you know, whatever. And that's usually when the youth pastors are really conservative, kind of generic, conventional yeah. Christian. They're not even like crazy, right. deconstructed, wild progressive. You're like, I've been in some of the most boring ass churches that are so conservative. I mean, I was in a brethren church at one point and like mm. they got this youth pastor and it was so great. Um but he swore occasionally. And by swore, I mean, he said like crap or something three times. Like, oh, I'm like, Jesus Christ. And this is in Scotland. We say fuck is like our pause in a sentence. Yeah. You know, like, what were we? Yeah. Fuck. Oh, yeah. You know, like, like we swear all the time. But for some reason, this was too far. And then they, they hired in this guy who literally could have been a cardboard cut out like he had no personality yeah. and it looked honestly like his interactions with teen with teenagers was almost like someone had just described what a teenager to him was and he'd never met one uh, like it was honestly uh, like he just did not know what to do and he just saw it as his path to becoming a senior pastor i gotta pay my dues as a youth pastor and then totally um but they liked that right because he was just like the senior pastor the problem was he wasn't yeah. relatable um, yeah. But the point being, when you are that relatable person, you probably are open, you are aware of the issues on the table in a way that senior pastors aren't. Um, oh, of course. And that must that yeah. must have been a hard dynamic, especially, I guess, as you were 
progressing in your faith as you are moving mm-hmm. to becoming more affirming maybe you were questioning certain things that the um i'm assuming if you start to open up as genesis as a poem and things like that you're going yeah, yeah, oh, maybe this isn't supposed to be read in quite a, a rigid literal way um yeah even having that in the back of your head in a church where every sunday when you hear the message and they're going well, the Bible clearly says, or, you know, like it's through, yeah. it's Adam and Steve, uh, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, or it's, <laughs> oh, no, it's like six that, yeah, days yeah. and 6,000 years or whatever. Yeah. Um, how was it for you navigating that dynamic? Do, do you think that was, do you think that was, was a catalyst great. for you? Like, did, did that kind of yeah. like put a fire under your ass? Like being I, in that have, sort of have, middle ground? Yeah. First of all, man, this bouncing around is so fun. I have so many thoughts. I, I think one is like, yeah, so much love to my fellow youth pastors out there because they're like, I, I want to sort of redeem the image of a youth pastor. I, I was just watching the new Spider-Man movie and they're like, Toby Maguire came out at one point. And they're like, what are you supposed to be a cool youth pastor? And everybody's laughing. And I'm like, <laughs> just the, 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 like the meme of a youth pastor and the broad culture, I mean, globally, is kind of cheesy. You know, it's like this older person that's trying to rediscover their youth or something right. and wanting to stay relevant. And, and that's tough. Um, but, uh, I, I have to say I was, I was sheltered. Like I, I worked, I worked for 11 years at a very progressive Presbyterian church and I was able to stay in process and do whatever I wanted. And I was probably saying some pretty wild stuff, but it was all under the guise of, we're just trying to stimulate conversation. You know, like Mm. there's, there's, it was never questioned. It was, we, we presented all sorts of, if I heard something crazy, Theologically, I would I would present it at Sunday school. The kids would listen. We'd talk. No leaders would care. I wouldn't hear any pushback from parents. Wow. Uh, and it was just it wasn't an affirming place, but it was definitely willing to have that conversation and and always heading in that direction. By the time I left, they were having a lot of conversations around that. It wasn't until I got to that newer, bigger, more evangelical church that I started to experience the policing of my own stuff and I was like I at the time I was like 38 and I'm like I I'm a professional like <laughs> I, I paid my dues I, here right? yeah. like a 20 year old that needs babied yeah and I wasn't looking to be supervised or critiqued or I, you know people were giving me heavy quotes feedback I'm like I don't need your feedback I know what I'm doing uh, and and maybe we're presenting a wild idea or a theological concept that's not in alignment with the beliefs of the church, but that's not even the point. We're just trying to stimulate conversation, right? Because otherwise, the kids are going to get bored. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until then. Again, like I was, I was very quickly very antagonistic and belligerent with that church. It was, mm. I, I was just so confused. I was like, it's exactly right. I was like, I paid my dues. You guys pursued me. You wanted me to come here. I, I'm not looking at one point I got written up for giving a talk that seemed dangerous. I, I, I put up an image and it was again, engaging with some of Christina Cleveland stuff. And it was like, God is a black woman. And it had a picture of a black woman getting crucified. The next day I got a write up of like, Scott is creating a dangerous subculture in the youth group. That was one of the taglines. And I was like, okay, well, let's, let's be clean about this. This person has no youth ministry experience and shouldn't be writing me up. And so right. I was like, very Presbyterian. I was like, let's invite the elders. So I invited our four youth elders to come hear one of my talks. I'm like, let's let them say whether or not they like my talks. I'm not trying to do anything secret here. And they liked it. They're like, oh, Scott's doing great. We liked that. The kids liked it. You know, <laughs> um, I still got Was fired, that like but... your best 
like message you've ever given or you know best no no i don't want to be authentic <laughs> at all costs i'm like i said i said to these parents they're the youth elders i was like this is going to be a standard talk it's probably going to be out there and and i want you to let me know if it's too much you know and and one of the one of the parents came up afterwards she's like scott i don't see any problem with that talking i've got to be honest i don't know what you were talking about but i have no concerns <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay <laughs> that's, that's so funny yeah, i love it yeah just confuse them to agreement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I have to say in terms of deconstruction, I'm 42. I think you're like mid-30s, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll take um, mid-30s. I'm starting to okay, so- <laughs> eke up towards the end there. <laughs> okay. Are you are you early 30s? <laughs> no, 37. 37. Oh, you're 37. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mid mid to late 30s. Um, I think for me, uh, I, I went through a probably a secret season of deconstruction in my early 30s. And for me, it was just discovering, I, I think I have the book back here somewhere. Um, Christopher Hitchens wrote this book called God is Not Great. Mm. And I was engaging with all the new atheists and Richard Dawkins. And there was like this circuit of speakers that were going around that were engaging like in apologetics with these atheists. And I right. was desperate to hear the Christians win. And I would just watch right. them at night be like, I hope they have the right talking <laughs> points. And um at the same time, do you know uh, Pedro the Lion or Dave Bazan, that musician? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, like, that's, that, that is a, like, that's the ground zero of my deconstruction, I think, because he was a Christian artist, musician, that was Christian, and, and, but engaging with his faith very authentically through his faith, and then he came mm-hmm. through his music, and then he came out with an album called Curse Your Branches, and it was essentially, an, every song was about him losing his faith entirely. Wow. And I was like, I think, I don't know what I mean by this, but I think at that point through that album, I did also lose my faith and it, it probably just disappeared and I kept being a youth pastor, but like something else emerged and it was all sort of very private. But, um, the beautiful thing is at this point, it's not an anxiety thing. It's like, I have no idea. I have no idea about God. I have no idea about the Bible. Uh, but I don't have to be all manic and anxious about watching these <laughs> debates or or anybody winning. Nobody needs to right. win. Nobody needs to have the answers. It's just so much nicer. I, I probably like the best description of like what I would call myself as an agnostic Christian. Like, I don't know. Yeah, right. I don't know if there's a God. Like, how does anybody know? But it's right. really fun to still say you're a Christian and have people like, no, you're not. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> 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 I love it. Well, I think, yeah. uh, you know, I said this all the time, but I mean, if, if we were honest, I think most of us would say we're agnostic, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, anyone that actually believes they know what's going on here. I mean, they're the yeah. people on the tour, right? Doing their like little argument with someone else that thinks they know what they're talking about. And totally. everyone else is sitting watching going, look at these idiots. Like, right. like right. I, mean, I get it. Maybe one's smarter than the other. Maybe one has a better argument than the other or whatever. And that could be a completely different conversation the next time yeah. you go a different way but look at these idiots they actually think they idiots. have any idea what the heck is going on with this bunch of atoms that's gained consciousness and a spinning rock through space like what the fuck is this like no yeah. one knows yeah. what this is let's be honest no one knows <laughs> let's be honest yeah and and and, and that's so the I thing think. it's like people psychologically want a guru they want someone to tell them that they have the answers and i think it's this really unhealthy marriage of energies of like a a mass of people who want a guru and then somebody who indulges in that and says i'll be the guru Mm -hmm. and then they take on that responsibility and get a lot of praise for pretending they have the answers 
Right. But they well, don't. And it's and nice to feel yeah. like you, because sometimes we oh, do yeah. feel like we've got the answers, right? I mean, how many times yes. do you think, God, look at this idiot. Look at this jabroni who thinks he's right. got the answer. Clearly he's yeah. wrong and I'm right. So we, we all right. on some level think we've got some answers to life and that's the way yeah. we live our life. We have to have something that we think that's probably true. Um, Absolutely. And it's really nice to have that validated. It's really nice for mm-hmm. people to look at you and go, wow, look at Phil. He's so smart. It doesn't happen so often anymore, but like, <laughs> wow, he's got the answers. Um, yeah. And so I think it's really easy. Uh, you know, I, these yeah. structures like conventional Christianity and, and a lot of religion, they're structures that are built around these kind of human um, tendencies to look for yeah. certainty and safety and security in an authority figure. But they're also built on uh, human tendencies to want to be that person that has the answers, to want to have people following you and approving of you and thinking you're great and giving you 10% of their salaries and, you know, whatever else. Um, totally. That's a nice feeling. Um, and it's and I think it's so refreshing to talk to someone that's going, hey, what would happen if we brought up teenagers not like that? What if we brought up teenagers yes. not seeing the world in black and white? What if we brought up teenagers that ask questions? I mean, asking questions. Mm-hmm. Good God, what a great way to do life. Um, it's like it's science, very scary right? <laughs> for, for a lot of people, I think, as well. You know, we had a, back when I was um, still in um, the last church we were a part of, um, we were constantly advocating for more of this kind of model. And we did something called, uh, we did kind of like questions and answers, but we completely mm-hmm. um, killed any hierarchy. So we literally yeah. just had a mic and said, who's got a question? And someone would go up and go, yeah. I've been thinking, do you ever think that like hell feels like a postcode lottery? Like what if I was born in Baghdad? <laughs> and then they put the yeah. mic down and anyone in the room can pick up a mic. And I love that. And you've yeah, got that's it. 30 people giving 30 different answers. And what's really yeah. fascinating is some people go, oh, this is so refreshing. I don't feel like I have to have the answers or I feel like there's some options out there. But you had other people going, oh, fuck. I'm so terrified right now because I had put all my stock in definitely going to heaven. Yeah. I don't even know if there's a fucking heaven, never mind a hell or, you know, like, or maybe I'm going to hell. The postcode lottery works for Muslims and not for Christians. I don't really know. Like, and so there's something about these spaces that can be quite complex as well. Um, And I guess that must be, um, do you find that some of the teenagers coming to you are looking for a bit more black and white, a bit more stability, a bit more certainty, because you know, I, I can imagine they're coming from very unstable places a lot of them yeah. it, not not um that the person themselves is unstable but the, the environments right i mean to grow up in a christian yeah. home that ha- there's no space for you to be fully who you are in that home uh there's no space in this community for you to be fully who you are um got some questions not here pal um <laughs> right. but then on the flip side to go from that and to find your people and go oh these are my people and then go jesus none of them have any idea what's going on and they all believe a different thing that could probably be quite terrifying in a lot of ways for for a lot of a lot of kids right i mean i don't know I, yeah, i'm thinking I, at that age no. i wanted to know the right answers i didn't really want to know there was 28 answers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's a good question, though, right? I mean, you're asking such great questions, and I'm I'm even using this as an opportunity to get back in touch with my sort of beliefs and philosophy in a way. It's like, where wh- I wonder too with you, Amy, because I relate to that. It's like, where did that desire for certainty come from? I, I wonder if my upbringing was causing that desire for mm. certainty. That like my grandparents and parents were saying that's what we should be looking for. So it, in in the dinner table and the prayer times and the conversations and the Sunday school classes. That's what I thought I needed to be searching yeah. for. But all that to say, I don't, I don't, I mean, I feel like I'm in pretty good touch with our students. I don't feel like they're looking for that type of certainty. The, 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 
the tagline for our podcast is helping people live a less certain, more curious life. So we want less certainty, more curiosity. I always try to clarify, it's not no certainty. It's just less certainty. But um, this, this, this is just, I have no idea. Like it would be so fun to actually have some of the students here and see what they think about what I'm about to say. But, but it seems like if the certainty is in a God and we love using phrases, which, you know, other traditional conventional Christians don't like, but like, you know, the divine or the ground of being or ultimate concern. Paul Tillich, my favorite theologian, would always say ground of being or ultimate concern. And so if we are saying there is something stable that you're, that is the ground of being, something that's defining your existence, and that is whatever you define it to be, that, that provides the freedom, the, the ground of being, mm. the solid floor to be more curious and to not worry so much. So I've, I've always been a little confused by Christians being rattled by curiosity or expansiveness. It's like, well, if, you are, if you're so secure in your relationship with God, then you don't need to worry about right. it. Right. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe there is a certainty, but I think when it comes to parenting and when it comes to youth ministry, the certainty comes from the stability and the reliability of the adults. So if I'm a stand-in for mm. God of sorts psychologically, it's not, it's not that my ideas are certain or that I'm providing a space where the comfort comes from all having certainty in our ideas and our beliefs, but you can rely on me. Yeah. So you can be certain that this relationship will be steady, healthy, reliable, and I mean, that, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, that, I mean, that's, a, that's, the, that's the task. That's the hardest thing is producing healthy, stable adults that can be in these kids' lives. So maybe that's mm. sometimes where the church goes wrong. They're so obsessed with recruiting a bunch of young people who are going to parrot what the church is saying. And that makes them feel really good rather than prioritizing healthy, stable adults yeah. in the kids' lives. Yeah, because well, it does the, the opposite, right? On some level, I think we all at some point in the church, maybe we were later than as a teenager by the point we started to kind of start putting this together. But um, I'm sure a lot of people at even the age of teenage, even maybe before, have had this moment where we realize this isn't a safe space for me to say this, whatever yeah. it might be, right? Totally. Who knows? Um, uh, and so, you know, maybe there's a kid there in the class going, yeah, what if God was a black woman? But they know, yeah. actually, maybe I shouldn't say this. Or they say it and they quickly find out, oh, gosh, this, this relationship that I thought was certain is maybe less certain. There is maybe an yeah. option for me to be locked out of the house and have to be flown totally. to Seattle. Um, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They don't do that anymore. So I'm at the house <laughs> on my own. Um, but, you know, that's that's really fascinating to me because I know, like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, um, I love studying uh, psychological um, development theory. Uh, which yes, is fascinating yes. and obviously you've got children's yes. um, development is, is clear there that at certain stages of a development of a healthy human um, there is a larger and greater need for stability and certainty um, yeah. and that's usually pre-teen for the most part yeah. um, right. but it's still very present within teenagers that they need some stability there they need some certainty yeah. to hold on to especially mm -hmm. because it's such a, a time of questioning and a lot of the certainty is falling apart um I think when I deconstructed, there were certain things early on where I was like, well, actually, of course, it's fine to question hell. I don't believe in a God that would send me there if I was wrong. Right. Yeah. So like you're, yeah. you, you've got this like 
foundation of God is love. And it's like, well, if I'm wrong about my beliefs about hell, a God who is love doesn't send you to hell for it. Right. Yes. And so suddenly yes. it's like, oh, I'm not so scared. Whereas if you're like, well, maybe I'm wrong about God and God actually might kick my ass for eternity. That's scary. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm really intrigued by it because that's a fascinating dynamic. You creating that, that very secure, stable relationship that says, look, everything in life can fall apart, but yeah. from this hour to this hour, you got to call in on zoom and we can hang out. And from this hour to this hour, there's someone that can message you if you need to talk, chat a little bit, or, you know, there's, there's some stability here. If, if you've got questions, there's a three hour session on Saturday, you can call in and ask your question and there's no one's going to judge you for it. Whatever the conclusion is, you're safe to figure out your own conclusion. That thread, a certainty, I've never thought of it like that, but that's a beautiful, mm. beautiful thing. Mm. Um, because yeah, oh. I do wonder if we are so much more open to that destabilizing process, which is just part of being a teenager. It's part of growing up, right? right? Realizing that your right. parents lied to you. They don't have all the answers. You know, life isn't so yeah. wonderful and we're all going to burn up in World War Three or climate <laughs> catastrophe or something. You know, these yeah. are like things that teenagers are starting to realize that maybe they didn't realize at seven. Um, and that's scary if, if you yeah. don't know for sure that your parents will still love and accept you if you yes. don't know for sure that the youth pastor is there for you um yeah if you stop parroting the right phrase right if yeah. you put in hot butter with the senior pastor maybe you're not going to be a <laughs> stable uh kid in the youth group it's 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 a beautiful dynamic that, that you, what you're describing. Mm. I mean, it just sounds exciting to me. Mm. I would have oh, it's so fun. loved to grow up in that dynamic. <laughs> and also maybe I would have hated it because I was really black yeah. and white and I wanted black and white at that time. So maybe I would have hated yeah. it. Maybe I, I, I would think I thrived in my weird conventional fundamental um, world at that time. I think it worked for me and it was what I needed at the time for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I did too. I mean, I was sort of the prince. I always say I was like the prince of my church. Like my dad was a pastor and I had answers via my dad. And so people assumed I was like a little bit more theologically rich, which I probably was in terms of my knowledge, but like it was more certainty. I was like, I got these answers from my dad. I have, I've read some books. I've read some Philip Yancey and some John Stott and some other theologians. I, I went to a John Piper conference as a teenager, you know, so it's like, I know theology and, uh, and then you sort of reap the benefits of that, you know, standing, but yeah, I, I probably was looking for certainty. If I said that, I, I, I don't know if I would have had that language at the time, but it, mm. or reassurance or, um, social capital, like what were we looking for? Like, but I definitely right. thought I had the answers and people liked that I had the answers and I liked that I had the answers. And so, I, so far, I mean, I try to be as in tune with our students as possible, and it doesn't seem like they're so rattled by the approach, but they are finding certain leaders that they gravitate towards. So our leaders are also different flavors of sorts, of different types of, so one of, one of my leaders, Byron, I've been working with him for like five years. He loves the Bible. He loves talking about the Bible, loves deep diving the Bible. And so he does have a Tuesday Bible study where it's like, we are talking about the Bible and kids mm -hmm. want to talk about the Bible and they want to hang out with Byron. And then Daniel, who, who actually introduced me to you. I mean, we've been engaging with your account for like four years now. Daniel's like, you got to check out this Bill Drysdale guy. And I was like, okay. So he does questions and perspectives. That's the sort of deconstruction space. And then, um, you know, we, we got all, all, all other sorts of things in the, in the middle there, but um, yeah, it is, 
It's interesting. One of the things I say is everybody deserves special treatment. I think one of the things that I just caught on in the culture of youth ministry over the years is this sort of like standard stock phrase when you're on a mission trip and, and the adults have reached their limit and they say, nobody gets special treatment. And that was just something that I inherited and I would say, and then I'm like, wait a second, we all get special treatment. We're all unique. I, I say that to these kids all the time. You all get special treatment, you know, and it's almost like a capitalism mindset. It's like, I'd be on these mission trips with 200 kids building houses in Mexico. Yes. I was one of the youth pastors that did that. And it's like, it's very mechanized. We have a goal. We have groups, we have a house to build. We've got a, a guide that tells us how to build this house. We have a schedule. It needs to be built on time. And we're just like metaphorically kind of whipping these kids to get this job done. And in that sense, nobody can get special treatment because we have this bigger goal of finishing these right. goddamn houses. And uh, it's soul crushing. And it's like, well, why are we even doing this? Like, what's the goal of youth ministry? But all these kids down here just so we could yell at them for a week. Why don't we create a, an experience where we have the capacity as adults to generously care about these kids. It's ridiculous. Why, why don't we even do these Mexico mission trips? It's outrageous. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that we've, we have, as the adults, signed up and created an environment where we don't have capacity to care for each kid individually, that's on mm, us. Yeah. And we're running around yelling at the kids for wanting to be cared for. It's so, it's so stupid. Right. <laughs> I, I think this is a lot, you know, the more I hang around younger people than me, which as time goes on, there's more of them. Um, yeah. The more I think, God, I'm so I've given up. I've, I've, I've set in my ways or I've become quote unquote realistic or whatever. Right. And you, <laughs> so you look at these things. Right. And, and you talk to people, to, to younger generation and, and, man, there's a good reason they're more depressed than we were at their age, right? Because yeah. we were still in a system that worked on some level, right? We really right. would go good and point. go to college and get the job. And, you know, we hadn't realized we were destroying the earth yet, and completely <laughs> at least, or, you know, like all these different things. But but there is a dynamic where you listen to kids today and you're just like, it gives me a lot of hope for one. If, yeah. if, we, can, if we can keep this thing going long enough that they can take over, I think we'll be good. Um, yeah. The question is, will we be able? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know. I really hope so. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, you talk to kids. I mean, they're just so switched on. They they think so differently. Um, yeah. I remember laughing. I've said this a million times on my podcast, probably. But I mean, it's probably because the last time I got out of the house, the last time I traveled was like January 2020. I think I was in in the south in America, and I was yeah. talking to this kid who lives in this really kind of small town in. I think Louisiana, you know, middle of nowhere. I'm talking to her. She's like 14. And I'd just been talking to the parents about how they weren't affirming and that mm. they they were talking about maybe some problems with um, transgenders these days mm -hmm. and they're wanting bathrooms mm -hmm. and kind of usual mm -hmm. kind of conversation that I'm like, oh, why am I here? How did this happen? Right. You, you have these moments <laughs> right. where you're like, do you know me? Because this right. is weird. Am I the mission? Like, like, what? Yeah, how am I here? Um, did you fly <laughs> me to convert me? Um, they, they didn't fly me, to be fair, but um, uh. maybe they got side. But, but it was really interesting talking to their daughter. And I was just like, you know, what do you think about some of these things? You know, like, and I'm like, what do they teach in your school? And she was like, not good, not good, right. basically the right. same. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm like, and you see that it's not good. And she's like, yeah, I've got friends that are trans. I've got friends that are gay. Yeah. She's like, I don't have a problem with it. And I'm like, 
how do you engage with that? Like, what, like you know, that's your teachers are telling you it's wrong. Your parents are telling you wrong. And she's like, yeah, but they don't really raise me. She's like, that's the internet. It's yeah, celebrities. It's yeah. Facebook groups. It's about well, Facebook groups. It's Snapchat. Is is like even yeah. like whatever that was three years ago, two years ago, they weren't <laughs> right, Facebook. Right. Jesus. Um, <laughs> and, and it is this dynamic. I mentioned a lot to, to people today. I'm like, how do pastors think they're going to get away with this? Like youth pastors right. have cottoned on. You can't do this anymore. You can't get yeah. up as a youth pastor and say, the Bible clearly says you can't uh, have sex before marriage. Can't do that. As a youth what pastor. Is what is, that's such a triggering sentence. Dude. The Bible clearly says. Right, exactly. But they're yeah. pulling their phones out as you're saying it. 13, 14, 15 year olds pulling their phone out going, does totally. the Bible really say you can't have sex before marriage? Top five results. Well, yeah, maybe some say yes, some say no. And you're like, yeah. oh, there's questions here. Oh, wow, there's a whole like oh, Facebook group again. They're like, not, not looking at that. <laughs> stuff online that goes, this is a bigger question than what your youth pastor just says. And overnight, like youth pastor loses all credibility, right? If he's just going to lie to us and tell us this isn't a yeah. discussion. And I think that's part of what you're doing as well is, you're treating this younger generation like the very smart switched on mm. and um, and more connected to information than ever before. You grew mm. up as like, I don't know, like a potato farmer in the 1760s. And your pastor tells yeah. you, this is what the Bible says. You're like, fuck me. Yeah, I don't even read. Sure. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, what am I going to do? Go to the library and write yeah. a book? I mean, like, there's not even libraries yet. Like, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, I have very exactly. few options. Like, it's so you, true. I mean, you could probably do that in the 60s. And most people were like, yeah. ah, I'd have to rent books at a library. They'd probably be written by theologians. I wouldn't get it or understand it. So yeah. sack it. I'll just believe what happens. But like at this point, we literally have kids fact checking us with their phones. You know what I mean? Like it's right. just, they are so ex- able to access these things. And I think it does require us to have a very different type of relationship you know you can't totally. have these black and white conversations you can't have a just because i say it kind of conversation which has yeah. been how teenagers have been dealt with for ever right no i mean it's it's true i mean I, I i can see the books behind me in my zoom and i've got like four more bookshelves like that in here and it's the same thing it's like again my dad and grandpa being pastors you, you know you walk into their offices and for me growing up it's like it's it's sort of a, an impressive visual to see a, a room full of books mm-hmm. and you're like okay my dad went to seminary he's got all these books and this knowledge that I don't have and I didn't have the internet when I was a 16 or 17 right. year old so I just assumed you've read the books you know I, I I don't even know any other people that have gone to seminary so uh it it it's amazing now that it's basically an open platform but in so many ways some of these older institutions seminaries colleges churches are functioning with that same assumption that like, oh, you respect me because I've read the books. And people are like, not really. I don't really care that you've read those books. I, I can look all that up on the internet. And part of me is like, gosh, why did I spend so much time and money going to school? <laughs> I, I appreciate that I did. But, um, you know, again, like I try to make, I try to do these shortcuts for people because we spend so much time talking about it. And it's like, of course, like I love a nice long meandering conversation, which is what we're doing now. So I don't need the bottom line and shortcut it for everybody. But I did right. hear something that was like a, as close to a silver bullet as you can with youth ministry and parenting too. And I thought this was genius. And it was like 15 years ago, maybe even more. And it was this guy named Christian Smith who did this worldwide, global, or I think national study on, on youth. And uh, I think it was through Notre Dame or Yale. I forget where it was from, but um, 
his, you know, you love statistics. And he said the, the, the main finding throughout this research project was that you get what you are. That was his main finding. Um, so it doesn't matter what you teach or what your parenting philosophies are or the strategies that you choose to adopt. And he's thinking mostly of teenagers uh, is teens will become what you model for them. And so essentially the, the, the behavior of your 17 or 18 year old is just mirroring back what you're doing. And so it's like, we don't need to worry so much on the content of what we're teaching people. I mean, the best thing you can do is just work on yourself. That's the best thing you can do. And then you're going to get a kid that works on themselves. Mm. <laughs> and as I'm only saying that full circle to say, um, I, if I'm working on myself and the premises that I'm learning and growing, then it, it is, it, it's just a beautiful circle of mutuality. Like I'm talking to these kids and again, it's not placating. They're teaching me <laughs> and they're benefiting from being able to teach me and I'm being benefiting from learning. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but, but I, I do know it's like, if you put, if you set up this youth pastor to say, Hey, we need you to give the answers and your job is actually contingent upon giving these answers and you're only 25, it's like, what are you going to do? So if kids try to challenge you, you get defensive and it turns into arguments. And um, it's, it's just, it's just outrageous. I mean, I, I, when I, when I, when I engage in all these sort of Instagram deconstruction spaces, it's like, it, it's, it's really interesting because for me, it's always about youth ministry. So I'm like, where is the youth ministry like um, space that fits into this Voltron deconstruction thing. You know, you got Phil Drysdale here, you got Joe Lumen here, you got evangelicals over here and all the other people that we know about. And then where's the youth ministry part? Mm. And I think that's what I would like this to be, even though I don't want it to be officially labeled as deconstruction. I think it's in the, it's in the movement. It's in the spirit. It's in the stream, you know? Yeah. So this yeah. brings up another dynamic that, that is fascinating to me. And, and so I, I, I've talked to Tim about this at the New Evangelicals. I'm like, that is the worst name I've ever heard. I know, like, no, it is. I'm like, <laughs> really what are you doing? Because evangelical <laughs> literally has, I mean, like you say something about, well, Christian has a label or whatever, and that's leading yeah. to what I'm going to say. But I'm like, <laughs> if you're deconstructing your faith and you're looking for something new, the new evangelicals, I'm just like, Nah, this is just evangelicals trying to get me in a different way. Or, and, and that's not where Tim's at. Like, I love what Tim's doing. And I think what he's doing right. is exactly what so many people need. Um, but yeah. I'm just like, oh, that name for me, I'm just like, red flags. Like I literally, when I first came across him, I was like, whoa, wait, what's right. going on? I like read his stuff before I replied to it. But, you know, I'm like, where's the catch here? Am I, am I being set up? And, you know, is this yeah. a punk situation? Is it a gotcha? <laughs> right. Like, I don't know. Right. Um, yeah. And I do wonder how much on some level being identified as Christian holds you back from being helpful to some people that are in this space, because I can well imagine there might be one or two, maybe four yeah. or five LGBTQ people in America, uh, teenagers, that are hesitant around Christians, right? Totally. Maybe, you know, maybe it's very tech. I don't know. You. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, you know like, but joking aside, you know, that's a big number I'd imagine. And yeah. they see the word Christian. They they hear you go Bible studies on Tuesday, or they hear you going, hey, I just had this thought about Jesus. And they're yeah. just like, ah, red flag, red flag, trigger, trigger, trigger. You're making me think of my parents, my church, my the people that turn their back on me, the people that don't accept me for who I am. And 
and I wonder like how how do you navigate that dynamic do you think about that do you go is this is this helping us is it hindering us it's probably doing both you can't be something to everyone like you know there's all these different dynamics I'm sure but like how have you gone about the decision to kind of label as Christian and and Mm. um yeah like what 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 was that about do you think and I got to say, it's really fun talking to you. I, I think you're a great conversationalist. <laughs> um, yeah, I, these are great questions. I think, um, you know, so I have, I have so many thoughts. First of all, I think, I think we need to create a, an environment. And I think a lot of kids have benefited from this. Of like, we don't, we don't think we're right. We're not, this isn't about going to heaven or hell. Um, and, and we bless and encourage your personal path and your journey. So if you're choosing to not be Christian, first of all, two, well, two things. You can still stay here. Many of our leaders aren't Christian. Strangely, we're, 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 we're keeping the Christian title, but you don't have to be Christian to be here. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're uncomfortable and, and you don't want to be in a Christian space, also blessings like we don't try to i mean so many of your great memes are like that vibe of like the the pastor out asking you back out for coffee trying to get you back into the church you right know? um so we're not that we're not like come back we got to get you to believe you know it's like blessings on your journey and we you know i'll see kids being like not a christian anymore fuck that you know i'm like like i like that good job find your journey find your path yeah. at the same time you know that phrase we use oftentimes in in this just like church clarity thing is clear Mm -hmm. as kind so it is kind to say hey this is christian it's a christian space we're not we're not trying to dupe anybody and say oh by the way it's christian ha tricked you it's like it's just nice to have that clarity of it's christian okay having said that if somebody joined our group it'd probably feel like universalist or unitarian in a way like right we're not always using scripture we use a lot of secular songs in our worship time like we use bjork we use beach house we use uh uh death cab for cutie it's like and and that's a worship song you know so it's christian and in that sense it's also like oh we haven't oh whoops we haven't talked about scripture in five weeks you know <laughs> mm. um so do you I mean, feel there's a, a risk of going the other way as well then on some level? Do you feel like some people come in and go, oh, this isn't as Christian as I was hoping? Uh, sorry, I totally you know, interrupted I, 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 no, you. No, 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 you didn't. No, you didn't. I, I, was, I was done. Uh, I, I, I will say sometimes it is a bit challenging. And this is a new, this is sort of the idea of like, as we're talking about this, I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm not in touch with some, I mean, some kids can leave and have, and, and never be heard from again. And, and we don't really know how to follow up with them. You know, in the sure. past traditional youth ministry, it's like, if a kid hasn't been coming, I usually see them in the hall at church and I can right. be like, oh, you haven't been to youth group or their parents reach out to me. Like my kid isn't coming to youth parents, group. Yeah. So these kids can just disappear. And I'm like, I, I don't know. That kid lives in Austria. I haven't seen them in six months. I, I don't know. Right. You know, so it could be the case that some kids have shown up and been like, this isn't Christian enough. And and then I guess in that sense, it's one of the really cool things about this group, which might be, I'm, I'm all of a sudden realizing maybe it's, there's another side to this, but like any kid that shows up isn't being forced to come by their parents, which is really refreshing because every kid yeah. that's there wants to be there. Um, having said that, 
I, I'm all of a sudden, maybe they have kids that have shown up and been like, oh, this isn't Christian enough. But of course, that's great. They can go find whatever, yeah. whatever they want. You know, there's, so. there's not too much of a shortage of places that are more Christian. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's a good point. <laughs> um, I mean, I have I have some curiosity about like your journey, just in terms of. I mean, I, I guess I'd first of all say, you know, for a lot of my younger leaders, you are. I'm saying this very playfully because they'd all sort of roll their eyes at this, but like a patron saint, patron saint of deconstruction. <laughs> um, and I think some of you, I think so much of you, like leading the way with memes is such a great way to communicate and it's sort of a youthful way to communicate. Mm. Um, but I, I wonder sometimes these days, like where, where you're at in the journey, just in, in, in terms of your, your place in the movement, like how, how are you feeling about the work that you're doing these days yeah. and the, the influence you're having? It's a big question. I have spent the last two years wondering if I should just walk away. Like I do mm. spend a lot of time, probably an hour to a day, wondering wow. what am I doing? And that's been for a couple of years. Like, mm. um, and that's also, you know, maybe linked to some, I've got some depression and anxiety and stuff like that going on as well. And I'm starting to realize, oh, I'm, I've, I'm neurodivergent. So I'm realized trying to figure out what is it to be autistic? What is it to be ADHD? And, and how has that shaped me? And what does that look like moving forward and things? But I think, I am starting to look and go, I don't want to, I don't want to be the person that people are listening to. Hmm. Um, I, and, and this is a big part of making memes. Memes are fun and they're silly and they, whatever, but you'll notice in every meme, my captions, I go, hey, let's this topic, that topic, right? right? Right. Which to some degree is still centering me. I'm deciding what conversation to have that day or whatever. Yeah but I'm trying to shift the conversation away from here's what Phil thinks to Phil asked the question, what does everyone think? And people can jump in and they can comment and they can discuss um, trying to create space like the deconstruction network, the website that I, I, mm. I got, it's completely free. I'm trying to take my hands off it apart from actually making it and paying for it. Like people can set up their own groups regionally. They can set up groups mm. for like, you know, um, you know, you should set one up for youth or something. That'd be cool. Like, yeah, you know, fun. Uh, whatever. Totally but like people can set up their own things and then arrange conversations, Zooms, meetups locally. You know, um, I'm trying to remove myself from the center. Mm. Um, mm. And yeah, at the same time, I'm doing research in this area. I've got data points to share. I can kind of educate on deconstruction um, in a way that most people in the space can't. Um, yeah. because they aren't doing research. They, they don't have the data. They're not looking at it from an academic perspective. Yeah. Ideally long-term, I'd love to just disappear into the ether and <laughs> we would see many more people that are queer, black, yeah. indigenous people of color, yeah. more women in this space. Um, people that gosh, you know, don't fit the stereotype of what we've seen on a stage our entire lives, you know, whatever right. that looks like, maybe people that are, um, disabled, um, differently abled, whichever people decide to uh, identify yeah. there. I, I know it's a, a complex yeah. uh, discussion. Um, people that are, um, yeah, whatever. Not me, not another straight mm. white guy. Um, mm. And maybe I could disappear in the background and just provide some comments when media want to talk about deconstruction. I could give them some data points. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, as I often think about even my podcast, I struggle because ADHD and, and autism are a weird combo, which means I just go on monologues for hours. 
um, and it makes my <laughs> podcast unique. Um, yeah. And that's the way it is, right? It's not going to change, but I am constantly going, okay, how do we have conversations at center? Again, people that aren't straight white guys. Um, yeah. I say yeah. talking to a straight white guy, um, but Here hopefully having an interesting conversation <laughs> about very different topics um, yeah. and, and different spaces. Um, yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. I, I really don't know. Um, I do think about it often. I try and steer away always from what I believe and, and mm. my uh, mm. faith or lack of faith or anything of the sort um, just because I feel that's in my space where I'm day-to-day hand-holding many people and just sitting with them yeah I think it's kind of ethically irresponsible for me to be particularly public about this is what I believe because so many people are coming from very black and white um, fundamental places and will mm. very quickly latch onto someone else who totally. to have an answer um, totally. so again I'm trying to not give answers um yeah yeah it's it's a weird one feels liberating (laughs) but it's it's fun i i love yeah uh, you know i really enjoy um i I, i'm learning more as i shut up and listen you know at the end of the day that's it i'm just learning gosh life is a lot better when i just sit back and watch um yeah and there's all sorts of problematic components as well of like this is my income this is my this is my work um Mm -hmm. which is great. I love doing what I do. And it's amazing. I can do what I do. We could talk about to what degree or whatever. And, but there's weird problematic components of that, where this is what I do because I kind of transitioned from being able to do this because I was also a Christian leader in this space or in, right. in a space. And that's what I did full time. And I've kind of like on some level coasted off of the back of that into something. And I continue to have people that support me or whatever, yeah. Um, it's a very privileged place to be, um, but it's also a very trapped place to be. Um, mm. And so I often think about that as well. If I was independent from needing finances to pay my bills, I never ask for right. money or I never, I never require money for anything. And occasionally I'll say, Hey, support me on Patreon or whatever. It's an interesting yeah. dynamic that that's my only income is a couple of people donating every now and again. Right. Um, it's, yeah, I have 18,000 yeah, followers. Weird. I'd assume there'd be more do- donations to Patreon after that. Uh, I'm a really good year has me make that in dollars a year. Okay. Okay. That's, I, that's, yeah. I'm right now, like, so in the UK, we've got this major deal because our, um, our bills are going up threefold in one year. Yeah. So that's what I've heard. it's crazy. And our government is that's not scary helping. So the rest of Europe, they're working really hard to stop that happening. Yeah putting limitations on companies on how much they can charge and different things like that. And in the UK, they've gone, maybe we should just make sure the companies can make even more profit. Um, so it's just like, fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, uh, it, it genuinely, if it wasn't for my wife also working, it would push Same. us below a poverty line it, yeah. massively. Um, yeah. And we would be choosing between food or heating our house in the winter. You know I mean? Like yeah. that's the choices we'd be making. And so it's, it's not like I'm making a huge amount of money. I could go and do something very different, very quickly yeah. make the same sort of money. I'm not in a trapped position that a pastor is where they're making a hundred grand a year, but have no other skills. And they're yeah. like, eh, yeah. unless I become a motivational speaker or, you know, a coach, I'm kind of yeah. fucked because you don't make a yeah. hundred grand at Starbucks or Walmart. Totally, I kind of could make totally. the same money at Starbucks or Walmart. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, this is just lots of interesting dynamics at play. Um, it's, it's a weird one. It's a really, really weird one. I, 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 just, I, I think it'd be fun. 
and, and of course you you can cut off the conversation whenever you need to but like this ADD stuff um it 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 really it, it intrigues me and speaks to me because I I have ADD as well and you know listening to you and the new deconstruct is it new what was the guy's name the the deconstruction guy who had also had ADD you guys talked about it like two weeks ago or whatever <laughs> is it the I new deconstruct it's not it's so you have the nude evangelicals is it like dirty rotten church kids or something who is it you were talking to i'm the guy trying to think who i talked to that had adhd oh was it um was it Derek myers who we were talking about religious scrupulosity yeah oh yeah, yeah. what's he from he leads a movement too he's right? from it's a dirty rotten church guys? is it your favorite heretics that's it it's your favorite heretics yeah, yeah. i can't remember all these people and then and then you, yeah, well, whatever. Anyways, I'll get super distracted. So it's interesting to think like our, it was refreshing when I got your message and said, hey, heads up, this is a long podcast. Like with other podcasts that I've done, it's, it's, it's almost the opposite. It's like so right. unsatisfying because it's like 15 to 20 minutes and then you say goodbye and you're like, what, what was that? And I did one the other day and it was like 40 minutes and they're like, we're going to edit it down to 20 minutes. And I'm like, Jesus, how will you even <laughs> find something in my ramblings yeah. that you can cut? <laughs> and this, this may for me, will have done our podcast for four years now. And we've hardly ever missed a recording every Thursday night. It's almost like a spiritual practice of sorts. And what we do is we just take a topic and we talk about it for two to three hours and we don't edit it. Mm. And in the early days, when I first started, awesome. I had like a lot, a lot of friends here that work in the corporate world that were like, Hey, Hey man, checked out your podcast. You got to get that thing down to 20 minutes. Cause I got to listen to it on my commute, you know? And I was like, well, I wouldn't be interested in listening to that. And I wouldn't be interested in recording that. I yes. like to get into a flow of conversation and it's fun to think of this idea of destigmatizing whatever it is that our brains enjoy doing, which is this wandering and this meandering. Like yeah. just recently, we just did a whole episode on the concept of awkwardness. And all we go is, what is it? Where does that word come from? What's the sensation of being awkward and feeling awkward and, and just talking about it? And, and so like, I, I, I think sometimes maybe that an added benefit to your style of podcast utilizing your ADD or your autism of like, this is, this is providing a very enjoyable experience for the people that like it, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I know I've got rushed. a niche, but my niche yeah. is me. Right. And I've always said, right, right, I right. am not going to have a shitty time making a podcast for people yeah. that will enjoy it. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't care about them. I want to make a podcast. that's really great for me. Yeah. Um, Cause I have to do it. I'm the only yeah. person I know will listen to this um, and I'm doing it right now. Um, and so if I'm not happy, <laughs> Like, what was the point? Um, but there's going to yeah. be more people like me. I, I love long podcasts. I, I look me at too. podcasts, I'm like, ah, 40 minutes. I bet he doesn't get into anything good. Like, <laughs> I want to find a podcast way. with someone that I like. And I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, it's a three-hour podcast. I guarantee he's yeah. going to say stuff I've not heard him say. Like, that's right. what I want. Or I guarantee he's going to end up talking about, I don't know, killer whales for 20 minutes because it's too long to not have gone into some weird places. And I want to know what this person thinks about killer whales or I don't yes. know, right? It's like, yeah, no, that's what I, I want to go in. I've never thought of it like that, but I think I have that same radar. If I'm looking at an episode and it's under 40 minutes, I automatically go, nah, yeah. you know, but if it's an hour 20, I'm like, oh, well, and two hours, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> okay, I'm yeah. checking that out. 
but I also yeah. get paralyzed because the fact is I've got about 83 hour podcasts I need to listen to and no one has that time. <laughs> so it's yeah, always a bit like, damn it, there's so many like that. Long yeah. form is the way it's going. It feels like it. I, yes. I don't know if Joe Rogan and those kind of people like just made these like long conversation podcasts. People True. are like, this is actually really good. Like, huh, mm-hmm. who'd have thought? I like to listen to this over four commutes instead of one. Like, yes, that was an option. Huh. Like what a profound change. Like, I mean, it's just like such an obvious thing, but like people didn't do it. They were like, oh, I go for 30 minute runs. I want a 30 minute podcast. I couldn't listen to the last five minutes while I'm in the shower afterwards. Like, come on. I know it's bizarre. I mean, I guess just to bring it all into the room again, like full circle, it's like church and working at churches and my wife works at a church and she loves it. And I think it's a great church. It's where I used to work, but you know, compared to what I'm doing, I listen to her staff meetings and it's like, they spend 45 minutes debriefing the timing of every element of the service the last week. And I'm like, everything is so freaking obsessed with time. And I I honestly do have some suspicions about that being rooted in white supremacy or something. And then it's like, I love the idea of creating a conversation like this, where eventually you just start to settle in. There's a settling Mm. and it doesn't feel rushed and you feel comfortable and you're not being like, come on, get to your main point. You're not like anxious. And you're, and then all of a sudden you're just like, yeah, my brain's wandering. Who cares? Yeah. You know, let's give it a guess as well. Cause I know as a guest, when you're on another person podcast and you're going, well, there's certain things I really want to make sure I get out. I really want to yeah. make sure I'm not like selling anything. So I'm not like a lot of people where it's like, I need to mention my book or whatever, but I'm like, yeah. I want to mention these key data points. I want to mention that people say that people at deconstruct don't really believe in the god or uh never really uh understood their bibles and i want to get those data points out that go that's bullshit here's some data and people go whoa oh i need to rethink that and when you've got a 40 minute podcast and the time's ticking and you're looking at the clock and you're going shit what am i going to be able to say this how am i going to say it how am i going to work this into the conference like it's uncomfortable it's it's stressful it's uh, you know you're not just kicking back going eh if it comes up, it comes up. We got a time. And, and I, even then it's like, even if it's wrapping up, I'm like, I know he's got more time. I'll just go, can I just talk about this? Or like, yeah. it's such a different way to, um, yeah, to operate. And I do think that what I do, and, and maybe you find this too in what you do, um, the freedom I have in what I do and the privilege of it is just off the charts, but it works for ADHD. I was, I was said in one of my most recent podcasts, I was like, I'm starting to realize why I do like eight weeks of like three podcasts a week that are four hours long and then just don't do a podcast for a year. And it's like, it's because I hyper fixate on something and I get really into it. And then yeah. I just, it's dead to me. And I'm literally like, yeah. oh, I hate to record a podcast right now. Um, and, and the same deal, right? I'll, I'll like fixate on my research and I'll work on that for a month and I'll be like at 95% way through. I'm like, I'm almost ready to release this research and put something out. And then I get yeah. bored and I distracted by something shiny or whatever. I don't know. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to make memes for three weeks straight. And, <laughs> yeah. And the beauty is I kind of can do all of that. Like no one's going, yeah. oh, Phil, well, the board has decided you need to put one piece of research out every three months. And yeah. the rules are you need one podcast that's 42 minutes long with three oh. breaks for ads. Like oh. and I need that every week. And it's like, Ugh, go away. Like, oh. like um, and so I think there is a dynamic that I'm very... I'm starting to realize I've created a world for myself that really works my neurodivergency and through pandemic realizing that a lot of my burnout and overwhelm was that that world kind of fell apart. And yeah, 
a lot of it yeah. was triggered heavily. I'm intrigued what you yeah. think about this, but I have got to say, I reckon the percentage of youth pastors that have ADHD is going to be higher than the percentage of people in the population, right? The average hundred people, you grab a hundred youth pastors, yeah. hundred people in church, in like, you know, a church or anywhere else. Yeah. There's going to be more people. I just feel like youth pastors, big ADHD vibe. Right. Yeah. And I say that oh, totally. as a good thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's especially good. It's like what you and I just said, if, if you can channel it. And I think there's something about just getting older and being like, looking around the room metaphorically and be like, what the hell is going on here? Like mm. why I, I was just watching this. I don't even know what it was. It was probably some sort of reel on Instagram the other day. What was it? But it was, it was this thing of somebody saying, look, like, I, I, I like blaming the person in power, you know? And so, and, and then I'll say too, like, go ahead and blame me if I'm in power. So it's, it's not hypocritical. Like, I, I think if you're in power, if you're a leader, you should be the most criticized. I, I should be the most criticized. That's what I would say. Criticize me all day. It's like so bizarre the way we like protect these pastors. Like the pastor at my last church made $200,000 a year. And so he lived a very privileged life. And his dad was a lawyer, went to Brown. And then, and then on top of all that, he gets this very privileged position making $200,000 a year. And he's protected by like a moat of uh, like session members and, and all sorts of structures in place through the Presbyterian church. And then on top of all that privilege and protection, the whole vibe is don't criticize the pastor, protect the pastor. Don't be critical of leadership. It's like, why, why? He, he, if you raise your hand for leadership, you should essentially be saying, I'm the best at getting criticized, you know? Yeah. yeah. But all that to say, it's like uh, this, this idea of ADDs, the, the, the real I saw yesterday was like, okay, and this is what I was thinking about myself when I was hired at this church. Uh, you hired this person. So if, if it's not working out, then it's your fault. That was a bad hire. Don't blame the person. Uh, but I also think like the way I was thinking, and I think this is just bringing this up for me because I think another part of what wasn't working for me at that old church was the fact that it was a little bit more like high operational with bigger expectations. Like I went from running a youth group of about 30 kids to about 200 kids. And I think it was just a little bit more corporate and I didn't thrive in an environment like that. But I wanted to say to them at the end, I'm like, look, you, this is a, this is like a stewardship issue, kind of classic Christian talk. Like I am, I am your resource that you hired. It's on you to figure out the best way to use me. Yeah, uh, but don't but don't stop trying to get me to change or function in this system because it's killing my soul. Like, yeah, this idea that I had I, I, at the old church, I I didn't have any expectations in terms of being in the office. It was like I, I brought that up one time. Somebody's like, "Oh, I guess just check in every once in a while," but we assume you're doing your job, you know. Like here, it was like you kind of have to be there from nine to five. I was like, it was so challenging for me to get to the office by nine. Oh my god! I was like, now these days, it's like kind of what you're saying. You have something that's set up for you. I like. I wake up at whatever time I wake up and I, and I tell people do not schedule anything with me before nine. I will not do it. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my scheduling app doesn't work till 10 a.m. And that. even then yeah. it's a concession. I, I you really got to be the only time you can do most because I'm up till yeah. three, four in the morning talking to people, <laughs> yes. but I like being up at that time. So it yes. works for me. Um, no, I yeah. love 1am. I love 2am. Those are magical times. Yeah. To be well, no one's interrupting me when I'm hyper fixating. Like yeah. I'm fixating on something and no one's popping in and go, Hey, could you just quickly, or what do you think about this? Like that just kills my day, kills my day every time. 
So oh. you just brought up something that made me think, and I'm really interested by this. You, you talked about the dynamic of going from a 30 person youth group to a 200 person. Youth. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's such a different dynamic, such a different, you know, like 30 people in a room can feel a lot in, in the right room, but it can feel real cozy in the right room as well. 200 people just feels a lot. There's no, there's no dynamic where 200 people in a room, you go, ah, I feel comfortable. I feel like I'm chilling out in a living room. Like you can have the coolest, most chill vibe, you know, it's still 200 people. You're still right, one right. in 200 that every person is special. Every yeah. person is, you know, oh, right. eh, that kind of falls <laughs> apart really quickly when you're 200 people and you're one of those 200 people, right? It's easier to do with 30. And I'm really yeah. impressed with, you know, you guys are looking at, you know, working with six, 600 youth you're talking about and yeah. you're growing, you're hoping to yeah. grow more. I assume there is no shortage yeah. of teens that are LGBTQ that you want to help in some way, shape or form, exactly. whatever you can create a space yeah. for them to feel at home. How do you make one in 600 feel at home? How do you make, Ooh. especially right? Fuck. Like you put 600 <laughs> youth in a big conference center and they can break up into niche groups and hang out and kind of feel like, you know, and they've got their buddies and whatever. And you can mm-hmm. go around and pat them on the back and be like, Hey pal, good to see you, whatever. Like, cool. Um, yeah. I just aged myself so quickly there. Cause all of that was really <laughs> cool. Um, Facebook groups. We're all doing Facebook groups. Yeah. We're all a Facebook guy. <laughs> Add me on Facebook. Um, are you on the MySpace? Um, yeah. Um, but you start doing that on Zoom. Fuck, twenty people on Zoom feels like, oh yeah. God, I'm done. Like That's you know, what I mean, when you start doing these on online spaces. Even the small groups feel big. Even the yeah. small groups make you feel even more disconnected in some way. Like, yeah. how do you go about navigating that? How do you build community? How do you make people feel safe in a in a sea of faces on a Zoom screen? Like, gosh, what's the strategy there? You know, having done this it would be so fun because I, I, I so exist in zoom these days. I, I, I spend so much time hosting these groups throughout the week. It's like, I I'm so, it would be so fun to have some of our students answer that right now. Mm. You know, I'd be like, yo, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Um, I mean, we have, we have kids that have almost never missed a meeting in two years. It's pretty wow. cool. But I, I, just to, just for, to be funny. I mean, it's like, uh, when I was doing the smaller youth group, we met in a youth house. We had a whole house dedicated to just the youth. And every gathering was just in a little living room. So it's exactly what you're saying. It's cozy. And I started developing a speaking style where it was like, I had my talk that was a regular talk. That was like a, an outline of like, you know, a, a, an analogy or a story or something to get their interest. And then I have my scripture passage and the points I want to make but what I started doing was almost leaving a whole hour for that and I would do each step and and take a break after each little section and I would say there's my opening story what did that bring up for you we talk and talk and talk and talk in the back of my mind I'm like I got my next thing and it was just so fun it was so casual and all sorts of cool things would come up when I got to that new church it was like for the first time I was miked yeah I'm just dealing with it right yeah and I, I never dealt with this and by the end I think I got pretty good but it was like I'm, I'm having to do this whole thing of like crowd control, of like reading the room. And it's like, whenever I hear comedians talk now, I can kind of understand what they're saying of like trying to present in a way that keeps this group of people, like a big group. I'm keeping my eye on the group, not just individuals anymore, keeping the vibe going the way you want it to go. And I went from giving hour long conversational talks to like snappy 10 to 15 minute talks. And 
trying to sound impressive, but my wife was working at the church too. And she was always in the building on the nights of youth group. You know, it was a kind of a classic church where there's family stuff going on. There's children's ministry, middle school ministry, high school ministry. And I'd have the high schoolers and I would get done with the talk and I would rush to the hallway and just start downing water at the drinking fountain. I'd be sweating. I'd be bright red on the face. And she'd be like, what is going on? I'm like, I just gave a talk. I'm freaking out. And even today, I was like, I'm, I'm starting to get back in like physical shape for the first time in my life. I'm, I'm starting to feel back in touch with my body. And my wife was like, you had like a lot of cortisol running through your body for a good five years. Like that yeah. church really stressed you out. <laughs> I was like, it did. Um, uh, so all that to say right now, I mean, I, it's like kind of a, I mean, the stock answer is that small groups do shrink the size of the group. And um, there was a season just, I don't know what happened, but for some reason at the end of last summer, I don't know if it was because quarantine started again, like towards the end of last summer, all of a sudden it was another shutdown of sorts. Mm. I remember being in New York and it was like, my, I was on a college tours with our son and it was like, all of a sudden we were like in New York maskless going to restaurants and we were staying at this hotel and we woke up one morning and everybody had masks on again. Everybody's like, we're masking up again. It's quarantine, get home, no more traveling. We're like, oh, so last summer towards the end, it was like, we'd get on the Zoom and it would be like 200 kids on the Zoom. One of my leaders said, it said, even in the Zoom, it feels like we're in an airplane hangar. It feels like too big. It's like, yeah. I'm like, I know. And right now I think average. I mean, it just must look like a mosaic, right? On the screen. Like you can't <laughs> yeah. even see and an you individual. Can, you can click through each page. It's like five pages of faces, you know? But um, it's like, we have a Discord channel and and uh, I, many different youth groups meet throughout the week now. And I, like when I say the word, the, the, the number 600, that's who we're engaging with in our private Instagram group. Yeah. But I think on any given night, it's about 50 kids now that are showing up. And so that feels manageable. Um. But it's true. I mean, I think what you just said is laying down the gauntlet of sorts to youth pastors or pastors anywhere saying, okay, you have this philosophy of every kid deserves special treatment. How are you going to actually implement that? Yeah. And I'm not sure I have all the answers to that. So I have to not pretend I have certainty there. <laughs> I, I think it's a beautiful challenge. Like I know we will have a camp someday and that will be a beautiful thing. That'd be awesome. And it's going to be crazy because it's going to be like, I've never done a camp where we're doing like genderless bathrooms genderless room mm. assignments i also really excited to keep telling kids like we're, we'll have sessions where it will be optional like not making kids come to our sessions or whatever it is but all that to say it's like yeah how do we create an environment where every kid gets special treatment i mean that's going to be the that's a beautiful challenge to take up i think yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i i I, I envy your your young audience like discord jesus i mentioned discord <laughs> to people like we're we're working with um we're starting to consider co-housing in, in manchester and like living mm -hmm. in a, a community and um talking with some of those people uh, the average age is like just over 50 um so it's right. more older people right now that are interested in it and we're trying to attract some younger people but they're talking about like, how do we have some community i'm like we could set up a discord and you know chat throughout the day and <laughs> what's you know, discord and like, what and then i i installed it on one of the computers and they're like this is so confusing and i'm like you use text messages it's the same fucking thing <laughs> type hit yeah. return the only difference is you just have different rooms like it's like this yeah. is not complex i'm like i'm looking at my um my i have a discord for people that are patrons of mine and plenty of the people on the on the discord are older not most yeah. by all means most are younger but i'm like 
you can figure this out, right? You figure it out WhatsApp to talk to your grandkids or iMessages or whatever. Totally, like, it's the same totally. deal. Um, but yeah, I do envy the fact that you probably, you, you're like, you're like probably finding out from your kids. They're like, we should use Discord. Oh, and you're like, yeah, okay, no, great. Yeah. Like, right? They're the ones that recommend the Discord. <laughs> and then and then I don't know what that is. And then my younger leaders say, we know what it is. We'll set it up. And I'm like, thank you. And then they, they manage it. And that's, <laughs> that's really nice. No, but honestly, I, even having said that, you know, every... I think every three months or so we do a whole series of guest speakers. It would be really cool to have you come in and, and be a guest speaker sometime. I think That'd our kids would love yeah. interacting with you. Yeah. And then you can interact with some young people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my dream, my dream. Yeah. I'll just screw them up some more somehow. Um, <laughs> I'll figure out some way to say something that's going to ruin their lives. Um, yeah. No, that, that's, that sounds fun. That'd be good. I'd really yeah. Um, so a yeah. question as well, and we can start wrapping up on this because we've yeah. taken up a lot of your time, but um, the full two hours. Yeah, we're on it. Yeah. Uh, how do you go about Because there's a dynamic, right, where you create a service on some level where you're helping individuals. Um, mm-hmm. And we do live in a world where bills have to be paid, things like that have to be done. You've got a team of people that are helping you and stuff. So that I'm sure that helps. And many of them probably volunteer. But like when you're when you're helping I don't know, 40 year old white males that are working in finance, it's probably not a big deal, yeah. right? You're like, hey, dude, can yeah. you chip in? And they're like, oh, yeah, here's your salary, right? You're like, right, it's like right, not right, a big deal. Right. But when you're helping teens, like, how, how are you guys financing, especially, I imagine, because a lot of churches maybe do feel uncomfortable with what you're doing? Um, yeah. I imagine, even thinking, like, you mentioned, we'd love to do a camp. And I'm like, yeah, I imagine loads of parents are signing up How's to send their happen? kids to that, right? I mean, like, yeah, lots of parents are going to be like, over my dead body, or, you know, maybe True. obviously you'd have to get consent for them to go. But there's that dynamic where I'm sure it's, it's tough for you. Like, do you have mechanisms for people to support you and things in what you're doing? I, I it's a great imagine question. plenty of people that would be lining up to support what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, man, I, I love that you asked that. I mean, I, I would just have full transparency. I was like, the, one of the main motivations of coming on your podcast, like any and all things I can do to get more exposure to what we're doing is great. I mean, I think the main reason I want to come is just because I like you and I like talking to you. So this has been so fun just chatting with you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I try the same as you, I try to make it as enjoyable as possible. I'm sitting here drinking some beers and relaxing. And, but um, yeah, no, I think uh, we are a nonprofit. We, we have, we have three employees me and Ashley and, uh, and my, my uh, director of operations. And um, uh, we're, we're in hyper fundraising mode right now. So it's like, yeah, I, I definitely have a lot of people here in Seattle, having been here for 20 years, uh, uh, parents who, who, who sort of believe in me and buy into what I do, who are like uh, those early buy-in people, early adopters, I don't know, if what, whatever you call them in the financial terms, but like uh, we are really definitely now in the point where we need to expand our network and get more people donating. So we, we have an Instagram, we have um, a website, affirmingyouthministries.com. There's a page where you can donate. So if anybody's listening and has the, the heart or the desire to participate, like what I'm trying to tell people is like, we had some big donors, you know, living in Seattle in the realm of like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, yeah. there are some people that were able to drop some big money at the beginning, but I think what's going to sustain it is monthly donors that are giving it like the, yeah, the $50 level, the $10 level. So anything and everything helps if this is a cause that you believe in. Um, I, I'll, I need to start putting some of our testimonies on our website because it's there's yeah, so many beautiful huge. stories for our kids. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it will be funded moving forward. I mean, this year, because it's so new, like initially it was just a quick throw together a dream and 
it's like same thing that was going on with you. My wife had a full-time job. So she generously was like, I'll support this thing where you're not getting the full paycheck and insurance anymore. Now we are hired. I am hired by my own organization, I guess. Um, but this year has been about survival, quote unquote. And it's like, okay, so if we get the funding that we need, if this is a global movement, you know, Young Life is like yeah. a $500 million organization. I would love to have employees. I would love at the very least to have a middle school digital youth pastor, a high school digital youth pastor, college digital youth pastor, and then maybe even a person on staff that does parent support. You know, mm. the possibilities are endless. That'd be huge. So if anybody, if anybody is like vibing with any of this stuff, like just yeah. go to affirminghouthministries.com and uh or call me or dm me dm us talk we're available so um i want to see it i want to see it grow and i think just in terms of deconstruction whatever it is you're doing and we're doing and people are doing i i don't want to officially be in like the deconstruction movement although i I give all blessings on the deconstruction movement not that anybody needs it from me but um (laughs) (laughs) i do like being part of sort of christian reformation like and that's why it's so funny that you're talking about like new evangelicals it, it is like i've told people that i was on their igtv talking to tim and people the moment i say new evangelicals people are like oh what you know and i'm like yeah no i, I do wish they would rebrand but like i love what they're doing and i do think there needs to be something that is is holding christianity accountable reforming christianity because yeah. people are like okay christianity today or hillsong or whatever it is that's going on with any of these other spaces what was it babylon b every day you hear something that is like falling yeah. apart. And it's like, well, then what are we doing? And so whatever this movement is of all these people sort of engaging and talking to each other, I do like what we're doing is offering an alternative in the youth ministry space to somebody yeah. that wants to continue to engage Christianity. And, and yet it doesn't have to be done in that flat traditional way. You know, um, I know I've always said that's been the theme of the whole podcast, but that's um, really good. I think I answered your question. I'm, yeah, I'm great. all over the we place will, too. Yeah. Like, there will be links in the show notes. So you're watching this in, yeah. the, in the description. Yeah. If you're listening, there'll be a link there. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it, those those five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, they add up. They, they really yeah. do. Like you get a decent amount of people paying that. That's, that's a huge deal. But also someone wants to chuck a hundred grand, you know, Scott's way and, oh, you know, yeah, finance we'll and a, a few staff for, for a year or yeah. so. Um, absolutely do that. Um but yeah, dude, I, I really love what you're doing. I, I, I just, I'm so, so excited um, that there are people in this space creating a really safe space for, mm. for kids to figure it out, you know, and, and yeah. for, for them to know it's okay not to have it figured out, that we're all figuring this out, that, hey, this, this adult that you're looking at, who's this credible, stable resource in your life is also going, yeah. I don't have it figured out though. Yeah. That's okay. Absolutely. Um, that's okay. That's, gosh. If, you know, I think if we all had heard that a lot more in our in our teens, um, I'd imagine a lot of us wouldn't have ended up deconstructing um, or would have deconstructed in certain ways, but held on to a whole bunch more of different dynamics of our faith, of our communities. You know, a, a lot yeah. of things would be a lot better um, if we if we lived a bit more like that. And so, yeah, dude, what you, Ashley, you're doing is just incredible. Yeah. And so, yeah, thanks yeah. so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, I, my audience probably skews a little older than teenage, but uh, if you're younger, obviously, especially if you're LGBTQ, <laughs> check out, um, you know, what these guys are doing. It's really great. We'll make sure there's links below and yeah. everything yeah, like that. Perfect. Uh, 
Dude, great to chat. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, really thanks so it. much, Phil. I hope we get to talk again someday soon. Uh, but this yeah, was very great. generous of you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, I'm looking forward to listening to this episode. Isn't that funny? We want to listen to You're our own listen voices. You're going to listen to it? I never listen to <laughs> I probably will. I do. <laughs> no, I probably will. <laughs> I'm not a glutton for punishment. I can't take it. <laughs> I can't okay. myself. Anyway, have a good day, man. All right, cheers, man. Right, love you. Talk Ciao. to you later. All right, bye. All right, so that was Scott from Affirming Youth Ministries. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I had a great time with Scott. It was really fun chatting. And um, I would encourage you to check out their stuff. Obviously, um, they are aimed at youth. And so if you're not a youth, you might feel that uh, it's maybe not for you and that that's fine, but there's some great stuff on there. I know I, I've um, really appreciated some of the stuff that's on their Instagram. It's Affirming Youth Ministries. Um, they are also, um, I just got a message from Scott the other day, doing a fundraiser drive right now. Um, and so if you would like to support what they're doing, I know, you know, when we were in the church, man, we, we poured money into youth. We poured money into them because we recognized that that time of life is hard. That time of life is key. Um, and okay, we did it back then. So we didn't lose them to the devil, you know, so we kept them saved. We kept them in the church or whatever the, the, the valiant reason was, but it was always people that wanted to, you know, help the, the, the kid from the poor family be able to go away on the weekend away or, or whatever it was. We poured money into the youth ministry so that they had all the things to get people to come along. And you know what, whilst the goal was completely misguided, potentially, um, the the understanding that this is a vulnerable time of life is is definitely on the money. You know, the statistics for um, depression, anxiety, overwhelm. Um, how many kids right now? These teenagers are struggling. Some of the things they're facing. You know, growing up with the impending doom of um, the them outliving the planet. You know, that's a terrifying thing for a lot of these. Um, young people to go through, throw into the mix of that um, a, a combination of having faith, of, of processing their Christianity, of growing up in a Christian home and being LGBTQ uh, plus. That is complex, really complex. And so, um, you know, if you'd like to be a part of helping um, teenagers that are in that space, I, I'd encourage you to check out um, Affirming Youth Ministries, to check out the fundraiser of what they're doing. Um, you know, listen to what Scott's saying. I've just given these kids space to figure out life and, and have a safe space to process and um, and in some way, shape or form call home. That's that's really game changing. And, and it's, you know, you maybe as an adult or listen to this and you know how hard deconstructing faith is and how isolating that can be. Imagine doing that as a teenager as well. Again, it's 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 tough, right? I mean, losing maybe your youth group, not really getting where you're at, your youth group, not accepting you for who you are. Um, you know, these kinds of things are, are really tough. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't know, I'm a terrible fundraiser. You never ask me to raise money for anyone because I'm terrible at getting money out of anyone. But um, if, if, you know, if what Scott's been talking about has, has kind of um, connected with you, um, I know that they're doing a big fundraiser right now. I'll put a link in the show notes to that um, if you want to support and help them in any way you can. But, you know, regardless of what you believe about faith, like Scott's saying, you know, the goal is not to get these kids to be Christian or anything like that. The goal is to help these kids figure out what's right for them, have a safe place to do that. I think most of us on here can agree that that's a really valiant thing to do and provide um and so yeah check out check out scott's work check out affirming youth ministries um if you want to donate please do that by all means um i've got nothing else to say um check out the deconstruction network like i mentioned at the beginning if you want to support what i'm doing patreon.com slash phil drysdale 
Um, it's a great place to do that. You get access to our private community and, and we do monthly Zooms. And if you need someone to talk to, I'm here. Shoot me a DM on Instagram anytime. I'm at Phil Drysdale. That'll do, eh? That'll do. I'll see you in a couple of weeks for another great episode. Peace.